Hello listeners, welcome back. It is part two of our Game of the Year 2020 extravaganza, uh, which isn't quite the extravaganza it was last year. We're trying to keep things a bit more contained, as you may have noticed with part one, but uh, we have a much bigger group of people here today, so who knows how it's going to go. But uh, welcome back. The conversation continues. I'm, as always, joined by my lovely co-host, Jono Logan. Hello, everybody. Hello, Jono. Uh, I'm just going to say it for them. I'm assuming that everyone on the podcast that's listening is polite, so there we go. Uh, and then we have uh, a rare occasion where everybody today is new. Uh, no one was able to come back from yesterday. They just didn't like us. Who knows? No, I kid. But uh, we just have a lot of new faces at the site over this past year, actually. We've, we've done a good good hiring drive, but uh, a lot of folks came out for the first time to discuss things on the Game of the Year episode, so... Uh, I'm happy to have a bunch of new faces and also some special guests, which we'll get to in a moment. But first of all, uh, I may or may not butcher your name, I apologize, but Abe Kobolanski is joining us on the mic. That's me. That's you. Welcome. Thank you so much for being on the podcast for the first time. And that same goes to Wes Illiff. Hello, everybody. Welcome, Wes, to the podcast. Um, our very prolific, uh, as we usually uh, extol her virtues, Audra Bowling, reviewing Aww. all the things. <laughs> nice to be here. Welcome on. It's really great to have you, finally. And uh, for the first time since we've, uh, you know, joined forces uh, with them and uh, been cross-promoting and such, Hat and Eric of the Phoenix Edge podcast are here to join us on Random Encounter. Hello. Thank you for having us. Hello, everyone. Uh, a was Hat, B was Eric, and uh, for those who may or may not listen to the podcast and not know them by voice that's just a, yet. That's a good call. But the better sound yeah, one is thank Eric. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you both for being on for the first time. It's really sure. great to uh, to get you on here and yeah, talk about a lot of what was going on this year. Perfect. Should be exciting. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm glad to be on. I will take it. So we're back to talk about more games. Uh, last episode was very heavy on our big three contenders in uh, 2020, which was Final Fantasy VII-R, 13 Sentinels, Aegis Rim, uh, or as I uh, amusingly named it in the docs, Regis, for some reason. So then it just had to become Regis Philpman Rim, which that's a whole different joke, uh, which we won't go down that rabbit hole. And we had Hades, of course, which was another big contender. Uh, all three stunning games in their own rights. And it was, uh, yeah, some pretty contentious uh, discussion, I guess, over how these things could have landed. But it's like it's also kind of like arguing apples and oranges uh, when you say Jono. I agree. Also, Alana had some, for someone who gave the game a 90 in her review and just loves it, she had some, throwing some fireballs about Final Fantasy VII-R yesterday. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, well, I think it's valid, the, the argument that the nostalgia like of the moment of being in it it definitely sweeps you in and i mean i can argue that now uh, more accurately since i've been playing it, it it definitely can pick you right up and take you right into its warm embrace and be like everything's great right and you're like yeah absolutely final fantasy 7 but then once you leave it for a bit you realize oh maybe it wasn't so great but you know it still had some good things it paid for dinner you know whatever i mean that that's exactly what i was pretty much talking about when we were on our podcast i was talking about how much you know we loved it but we also had our grievances with it, and we're worried, and we're always making fun of, like, Nomura's writing, and <clears throat> lo and behold, like, the first thing is, you know, uh, people people are just, like, criticizing, like, saying, like, do you like the game, or do you not like the game? And we're like, no, no, we love it, it's just, you know, it's, um, it's definitely not perfect when you look back and, 
you know, look at everything again or do a second playthrough. Absolutely. Like, nothing is perfect. And uh, it's that's okay. You can still be a 90. No one can say it wasn't swinging for the fences the whole time, whether it hit it or not. Uh, it, it tried its hardest. <laughs> at all times. It I was mean, that's the trick game. about reviewing games uh, a lot of time, especially really, really good games. The better the game, sometimes the more the flaws stand out. Mm, yeah. And I think if you love a series or a game enough, you're willing to point out its major flaws and hoping they do better the next time. Yeah, Absolutely. exactly. Like, it, it, there's no, just because we have some nitpicks, it doesn't mean the game is a bad game by any way, shape, or form. It's just like, yeah, I think like Jono said, you, you see the flaws all the more because of how well done everything else is and that team did an excellent job in that game like there's there's a reason it won so many awards right it's not just because we have little things to pick at it's the exact thing like you know you can remember being school and your teacher picking on you and you're just like why and it's like because i know you're great and you can do better and it's just like oh well that's kind of nice but also stop you know so it's kind of the same thing here which i'm sure they will improve yeah, when a game looks this good and you see a texture that looks like it's from the PlayStation 1 original, you, <laughs> yeah, it makes you go, ooh, scratch your head. I feel like Nomura's gotten a lot of ruler slaps to the wrist. Yeah, mm. I, I know we don't want to linger here too long, but I, I it's, yeah, just, it's, all good. it's all also they have to it's a, it's a bit difficult to try to like sparse between, OK, is this a criticism I have because the game is a remake or do I have this criticism because as its own separate game on its own two feet. And that was something that I had a difficult time doing when I went through it as well, because I had to sit down and yeah, realize like good some point. of my problems, a lot of my problems are because it is a remake. And when I look at it as its own separate game, I found that I was much more positive towards it. So it's also got that extra layer of, you know, difficulty to try to talk about it because there's so many intense feelings about such a beloved game. Absolutely. Like, Decades of baggage. (laughs) Exactly. Like, we've all were saying it before it even came out that it was going to have a hard climb and it was potentially doomed to fail, but it actually rose to the occasion quite spectacularly. The fact that it has seen so much success and done so well is just like you can't help but give a standing ovation to the whole team for pulling off what was probably like the most daunting task the company has faced in like a long time or ever for that reason uh for that matter and yeah i think it's great and it, it, i agree like it's the same thing even like with trials of mana again like how do you weigh it the re- how do you compare the remake stuff and then take it as a standalone game and even with um tooker trying to review cyberpunk like how do you re- review that as its own thing and then try not to completely let it get covered by the bad pr like you have to take the, like, the game in its full context, but it can be hard sometimes to separate it out and just let it be the thing that it is. Mm, yeah, for sure. But that being said, uh, yeah, Hades and, and Aegis Rim were also both fantastic games and art pieces of their own and both present spectacularly as well, but are also completely different. So it's just then how do you weigh like this amazing epic AAA title uh, <laughs> when you were saying how it was making me think too. It was like, how do you separate out the AAA-ness and do you want to rag on it? a bit more too because well it's a big triple a game with like billions and billions of dollars then you see something like hades that's also cleaning up awards wise and it doesn't have the same clout it's also hard not to do some comparison there and scratch your head looking at these two games together and why this one doesn't quite perform as well as this one even though they do well i mean those games are much smaller in scope too so i think that there's exactly less room to 
to mess things up. I mean, even if you go back and play the original Final Fantasy VII, I mean, that was a much smaller scoped game as well. So some of the problems that game had were definitely hidden behind the PS1 graphics and, and just, you know, the generation that it's from. So, I mean, you know, some of these Hades and 13 Sentinels were were fantastic, I think, because they kept the scope of what they were trying to do in check. They didn't try to you know, reach for the stars and fall short. And um, it, which is very admirable too, when a, a game tries to do that, you know, I, I definitely respect them for, you know, with the seven remake in particular with trying something new. So it's just, yeah, it's, it, it can be really difficult to try to hone in on what's the appropriate way to talk about these things. Yeah. But that's what we're here to try and do. So let's get into the rest of our list today, because, sure. uh, yeah, I know uh, Jono is pretty eager to talk about uh, his game of the year uh, that uh, won Best Traditional RPG, which I know on uh, the last episode, uh, Zach was saying for people who weren't there, that it was uh, it was actually a pretty big debate trying to figure out where Final Fantasy VII R fit, if it was action RPG or traditional RPG, because of some of the mechanics kind of bleed over, but ultimately the site settled on action RPG. And then I guess there's the uh, the debate there's like, I don't know, John, I'll let you come to the fore on this one of, do you think Yakuza Like a Dragon could have gotten edged out if Final Fantasy VII R had been relegated to this category? Or do you still think Yakuza uh, kicked its butt? Again, I haven't played Final Fantasy VII Remake yet. Uh, I've That's seen a fair. lot of it and read a lot, of, a lot of it, of so, I, so I can't say. Um, I actually do have a hard time imagining that... Uh, in terms of being a traditional RPG, that anything would really edge Yakuza Like a Dragon out. Maybe if maybe if Final Fantasy VII R uh, was put head to head to it, it would be a, it would be a coin toss. Maybe yeah. that being said, I mean I've talked about I've talked about Like a Dragon so much on this podcast, on uh, retro, <laughs> on the spoiler cast, uh, to my partner, uh, to you, to basically anyone who is within like a two foot <laughs> radius of me since I played it in November. I took um, out an ad space in Nova Scotia. They posted the article on the wall of, of Abercrombie Video. Yeah, they yeah they really should be giving me. I wonder if they even know that I talk about it on this show. I should mention it the next time I'm there. In I really really hope there's a big vinyl decal of you on the wall, as mentioned on RPG Fans Podcast by John O'Logan. That'd be great. Has anyone else on this uh, podcast played Yakuza Like a Dragon? Oh yes, I fortunately have. no, I haven't played that or mm-hmm. other than our yet. I'm I'm slow rolling like a dragon currently, but I'm about halfway through, and I adore the series, so I'm I'm with Sounds you. Sounds awesome. Yeah, I figured you would. Uh, be. I'm trying to go in order, but the furthest I've gotten so far is Yakuza Three. So you can play like a dragon without playing any of the previous ones. Admittedly, it's not. It's funny. I the callbacks and the and the cameos in like a dragon are very very well done. Where none of them are, uh, none of them feel particularly integral to the plot, but. When you see them, you go, Yee, look at it, it's Majima. Um, you have that nice little moment. But you can play the game, certainly, without knowing anything about Yakuza. Um, I was talking to Caitlin uh, a few days ago about it, and she said that one of her favorite things about uh, the series, she just started playing Yakuza 0, and she started with, like, Judgment, and then she played Like a Dragon. And one of her favorite things is going back in time and seeing Kamurocho through the ages and seeing various, uh, seeing what the city was like in the 1980s or the 90s or as as compared to today. And I think that's something cool that Yakuza Like a Dragon does, which is in the first part of it, it's 19, I think it's 94, is it 94 in the first, in the first couple of minutes? 
I'd have to double I think it's check. Nineteen ninety-four, but... or maybe it's yeah, it's in the it, it's in the mid nineties. Um, and then you you kind of you're roaming around the city as almost you remember it from like the first game, and then you get and then you are uh, in the modern day. It's it's a game that really celebrates its history in a way that doesn't feel particularly uh like you need to know its history to enjoy it and it, it, it i think it really does hit a nice sweet spot uh for newcomers and old fans alike um and in terms of it being a traditional rpg yeah that's what sets it apart i guess like that's the big debate but th- i think what set it apart between say final fantasy 7r or something like it is just how well it hits those mechanics and such so yeah back when it was in development i believe there was a uh I believe there were a few interviews where they said that, well, if the, if the turn-based combat doesn't work out or people just don't like it, we'll just go, be going back to the brawler-style combat in, the, in uh, Yakuza 8. And I don't think they're going to. I think they're going to be sticking with uh, the traditional <laughs> RPG yeah. combat because it has gotten a great reception uh, here and there. I feel like, like I said, Final Fantasy VII, are, uh, it took up a lot of oxygen, oxygen in the room, and I feel like Yakuza Like a Dragon is building on the progressive popularity that Yakuza, the Yakuza series seems to be getting in the West. It seems to be have slowly, it's been building since Yakuza 0, and uh, I think it's only going to get more so from here. I think Yakuza 8... It's like whenever, a renaissance for it. Yeah, whenever Yakuza 8 comes out, or whenever it's announced, I think that it's going to be big, and I think that when it does come out, this is... I don't think this is wish casting. I think that when Yakuza 8 does come out, and it's traditional RPG... And it is hopefully to the same quality as Like a Dragon. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a real, real debate over what the best RPG of that year is going to be. Um, unlike, unlike Like a Dragon, which for many people it's you know it's good, but it's still kind of an afterthought to Final Fantasy VII. Um, but I think the Yakuza series is getting bigger and bigger and bigger in the West, and we'll see how that uh, we'll see how that plays when the sequel is released. But anyway, the point is. Yakuza Like a Dragon is a traditional RPG in the best in the best sense. It uses a lot of Dragon Quest's uh, uh, traditions, tropes, and and you know puts them into the Yakuza universe. The job system uh, as it exists, I think it I think it uh, magnificently uh, takes just the modern world and modern day jobs and maps them on traditional RPG archetypes like Black Mage, White Mage, uh, uh, Dark Knight. Um, I guess just regular knight. Do they have like regular like analogs? Like salesman is represented as a class. I actually have never talked about the job system really with you, so I'm curious now. Yeah, it's more or less they do. There, there is a character who is uh, an office worker as their class that maps to uh, the kind of ninja that you'd see in the Final Fantasy series. Um, <laughs> they're they're a ton like that. <laughs> I really hope that you wield a stapler. Uh, thumbtacks. Yep. The white mage analog is an idol. Okay, okay, I see. Uh, That's cool, though. Th- this is just kind of... Uh, I, I this believe is kind of, just mage. Yeah, this is kind of an observation. Like I said, I haven't played uh, much of the Yakuza games, but um, the difference between FF7R and I think in, in that for me, and uh, Jonah, maybe you can definitely add more context for me, is um, I don't think people really had an emotional attachment to the brawler system. Because when people phrase uh, Yakuza like up and down for me, uh, or to me, I'm sorry, they they always talk about the world, the story, the characters, and stuff like that, and that's where the engaging content is. And the brawler aspect always seems uh, like like a secondary thing to them. 
And that's kind of the same thing with FF7R, but um, people seem a lot more emotionally attached to Final Fantasy VII's turn-based system. So that left with like a lot of, um, what's the right word? The um, like feeling like a little hesitant about approaching a new action combat system with it. Whereas maybe Yakuza, it's like, it's like, oh well, you know, I didn't really care if the game was a brawler or something before, so I'm more open to the um, RPG like tactical aspect of it this time. As long as my world and story are still intact like the traditional Yakuza games. I think that's very true for uh, a lot of RPG fans in terms of uh, the combat system, the brawler-style combat system, uh, if not turned them off, at least kept them away from it because it didn't... It was an RPG. Yakuza's always been an RPG with its progression system, with its with with its upgrades, with how it, how you level up. But I think that the turn based the uh, brawler based combat did push a lot of people away, um, in turn just for RPG uh, fans. Um, but I know that there was a lot of controversy about changing over to a turn based combat system, especially before the game was released, and a lot of people were like not my Yakuza, uh, and that kind of bullshit, um, on the internet, which is basically what the internet is for. Um, however, I think that now that a lot of people have given Yakuza a try because the turn-based combat is there and it's lowered the bar of entry to a lot of RPG fans, I feel like a lot of people will go back now to play some of the earlier games, like, I've always, I like the brawler system. I, I think it's fun, it's active. And I think that one of the triumphs of Like a Dragon is that it took some of the conventions of that combat system, uh, such as, you know, beating the crap out of people with random bicycles that are laying around the uh, around you, uh, and they put it into the turn-based system automatically. Um, Yakuza Like a Dragon, the combat doesn't feel like just a random RPG. It feels like a Yakuza game, but it utilizes the turn-based combat in such a way that the game, uh, I don't want to say that it, uh, it certainly doesn't perfect the balance, but it, it hits the balance in such a way that I think that going forward, it's going, going forward, Judgment is going to be using the brawler-based combat system, and Yakuza will probably stick with the turn-based combat system, at least while they have Ichi as the protagonist. All right. Well, Wes, it was you who said that you've played the series, or was it Abraham? Which one of you was just getting into it? Sorry, just oh. was trying to... Yeah. Wes. That'd be me. It was Wes? Okay. So, Wes, I was going to ask you then. So, Wes, uh, to ask you, it, was that like a, something you were looking forward to, coming from uh, being a fan of the series and then moving into this more traditional RPG kind of setup? With I, I cannot Yakuza? express how excited I was when I saw <laughs> the game, that the series was going turn-based. Because, you know, I've, I've enjoyed the series ever since, you know, the PS2 origins of it, and I'm not afraid of a beat-em-up, um, but as soon as, as we saw that turn-based thing, my, my entire history flashed behind me, and, and seeing, like, the echo to Ichiban's story and, like, my own personality, you know, kind of being raised on Dragon Quest and having all of those little things um, <laughs> factored in. I mean, that's how I learned how to read as a kid, was was off of these games. Um, and that's it's, pretty sweet it's such a, a <laughs> crazy trajectory for a series to take right now when everything's going into action trying to, to appeal to a broader base for a series just as it's hitting its stride in america to say nah we're going turn-based we're we are going completely left field um 
Yeah, it's an interesting like rollback. And, and to Jono's point, like it feels like home. The first time I hit the attack button with Ichiban, and he picked up a street sign and and got a damage boost, you know, hitting someone with it. I'm like, oh, okay, this is like a warm cup of soup right here. I'm I'm right back where I belong. <laughs> <laughs> Well, to that also, I was going to ask you, uh, since you brought it up, uh, Ishiban Kasuga, who this is uh, his first time, uh, basically, was he ever mentioned anywhere else in the series? Uh, yeah, actually, he is the main character in um, essentially Yakuza Online, uh, which oh. is a, but it's, Yakuza Online is not what you would call a traditional uh, Yakuza game. It's it's card-based. Um, it doesn't use the 3D graphics. It uses uh, 2D and it's also non-canon at this point. They've they've oh, retconned gotcha. they've retconned it. Uh, uh, it's kind of like an Ishiban fever dream that, that might be on card, be, like yeah. you know, par for the course. <laughs> but Ishiban won our best protagonist award as well. So yeah, Wes, I was going to ask you just to speak to that since you seem to have you know you're in line with that. And Jono has said good things about Ishiban as well. But just to ask you your opinion and why you're excited <laughs> to play as Ishiban, why he won best protagonist, like what sets this him apart. From uh, some of the other heroes that we've played I, I with think this year, part of it is because of the history. It's it's such a perfect way to go if you're going to make this this grand swap from action to turn based. Um, maybe maybe one of the undersold aspects of that is that you are then turning from a single character action game to a party based RPG. So all of a sudden you have all these other characters to interact with. And while Kiryu had this heart that was you know loving and affectionate and had like all of this humanity to him um he was very stoic most of the time he was journeying on his own on a regular basis and his interactions with others were like alternating between antagonistic and and friendly and you know he was more of a protector whereas ichiban is a lot more bombastic he has more interactions with his party members he wants to be friends with everyone in like the traditional anime aspect while still being an actual grown adult and they managed to marry the the maturity of yakuza where yakuza main character has to be able to navigate convincingly this this seedy underbelly um with the traditional rpg i'm gonna make friends with everybody in the world protagonist and they made this hard left from kiryu but still made him feel like a yakuza protagonist and i am so impressed with them pulling that off you know dynamically and and without really any seams at the edges it's exciting to play as such a different character but still feel like okay this is still yakuza Nice. It's the more I hear about Ishiban, the more I'm like, gosh, this is how my daughter's going to grow up to be. <laughs> Just seeing the world through like the lens of a game and like going to give people like notices of yeah, like, I like we're best friends too. now. We've upgraded and like, you know, <laughs> and I'm just trying to like mechanic, give everything like RPG mechanics or whatever. It'll be hilariously uh, great. Can I just um, say uh, also with this is that I'm just like this really attracted me. I haven't. This is next on my radar to play, but it really attracted me the fact that this is a JRPG and it's an older main character. And I've kind of the older I've gotten, I've gotten a little fatigued with the, you know, the routine younger characters. 14 year olds. Yeah. The the greatest detective in the land. And they're like 10. You dang kids. Yeah. It's it's it grows a little tiresome. There's still good games, but it's just refreshing to have someone that's a little bit older and, you know, the, a little bit more life experience as the protagonist of a game. I think that's really, really cool. I, I do. I was actually just explaining that to Gwen last night. Yeah. That most RPG anime heroes are, like, in their teens and you're quote-unquote old as soon as you hit your 20s. Uh, but sorry, you are saying, Audra? One foot in the grave. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I agree. Uh, just mostly because I, 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 I guess I say this as someone who's much older now. 
than these characters. Uh, it just sometimes takes me out of it when I find out this 14-year-old is doing things that even me as a 32-year-old man does not feel like he's mature enough to take on uh, this kind of <laughs> responsibility. Especially like in something like FF8, where all these characters look like they're in their mid-20s or so, and they're all like ages 15 to 18. And I'm like, what? <laughs> it's basically just like um, a quote-unquote like teen uh, special where all the quote unquote teens are actually in their twenties as actors. Oh, yeah. like a CW like, I can see you party of five. You must yeah. be at least thirty eight years old. Thank <laughs> God, basically. The the joke that my wife and I always have it's it's always Raven from Tales of Vesperia because uh, he he is every other line is him calling himself the old man or someone else calling him the old man and then I look at oh God I'm the same age as him <laughs> he is a thirty five year old and he is the old man. <laughs> Yeah, that's basically how this goes. Like, you're ancient if you hit your 30s in an anime RPG. But then you look up the ages that they're supposed to be, like he just pointed out, and it's just, that's not how old they are. There's no way, you know? So it's it's kind of funny how that works out. To be yeah. fair, if have, you guys have hung out with, like, anyone who's in there, like, early to mid-30s. You've hung up with, early, like, people who are in their early 20s. You really do feel like the old man, yeah. though. Like, I have sympathy for the 20, for, like, the 23-year-old who's surrounded by 16-year-olds trying to save the universe, just being like, oh, I'm so old. Hold on, we need to sit down for a second. We've been <laughs> up for, like, 30 all. minutes. But that is also, like, I mean, they haven't quite hit it right, but that I feel like some days that is 20-year-olds, because in our 20s, we can get very self-centered <laughs> and think we've seen it all and done it all, and then once you get to your 30s, you're like, oh gosh, no, I barely knew anything in my 20s. I was an idiot. Now I'm coming into my own, and I'm sure that'll change as we hit a new decade. But it's just, it's very much of, like, the 20s to be very, like, we're so important. We're doing all the things. Life is so hard. It's all on our shoulders. And like 30-year-olds are up there like, whatever, grab Rosé. We figured it out. <laughs> well, it's it's weird, though, because, and not to take us on too far of a tangent, but I always it's random felt, encounter. It's what we do. Hey, man, good. I'm glad. Because I always like felt like, ah, age is just a number, and I'm the same age as Eric, 32. And I had this girlfriend, and she has a much younger brother, and he, I was showing him final fantasy eight eight for some reason and it just like hit me over the head like like almost like a frying pan because he he looked at it and he thought these graphics look like crap and at that point in time like i always remembered like when i was a kid like these were amazing right and it just like immediately like showed me like the gap of age like oh like <laughs> this is the this nostalgia is the, lens is gone yeah this is the type of thing that like separates us you know so um yeah Anyways, no, I'll try well, to see. I'm playing as Audra knows, I'm playing through Chrono Cross right now, and it does not look great on 1080p TV <laughs> yeah. and trying to like up res and stretch whatever. But I, I, I'm fine with it because it's kind of what I grew up with. But like, my wife walked at me at once, she's like, How can you play this? Like, how? And like, she's older than I am, so she's seen these, she knows this, but she hasn't played as regularly. And, she, and now, compared to what we could play, she's like, It's just so fuzzy and Hard to see. How are you doing this? I mean, what? to be fair, are you sure she just wasn't talking about you playing Chrono Cross, period? Oh, cold. Cold as ice. Shots, Shots fired. fired. Audra's gonna fight you. <laughs> what? Well, oh, no. I'm I've been trying for a yeah. trigger. Yeah. Ooh, which we'll talk about another time. But yeah, that's pretty good times. Uh, but anyways, getting us back on path. Sure. Um, uh, like a Dragon was our runner-up for best RPG, and it sounds like it's for a good reason. Like, it, it definitely was a hard-fought battle. Uh, it tied also with uh, 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim, which, again, was a great-looking game. Audrey, you've been pumping through a lot of VNs for the site, but did you ever get time to get over to 13 Sentinels? No, unfortunately. 
I want to, though. It sounds good. Is anybody here? I recorded game footage for that game, so... you That's right, you did. Well, yeah, what did you... So, okay, then... So, so, yeah, so 13 Sentinels was one of our runners-up as well, and, and it's it's done well in some other fields, which, we again, we talked about it somewhat the other day, but it was our best graphic adventure VN. How many of those do you dive into yourself? Pat? So, that's the thing. I'm not really a big fan of that genre, so... I was kind of apprehensive about playing this game, but once I, I got into it, I was actually surprised. I felt like this was a game that I could actually appreciate. And again, that's coming from someone that usually doesn't like that style of game, but there's a lot more interactivity than I expected. I mean, there was dialogue options, there was searching around the room for clues, and then there was actual battles that would happen that, that was really exciting. And the art style is just gorgeous. The story is really what just kept me going because it was just it, it, like every the game starts off with you playing each character and their backstory and it's a little bit slow it reminded me of persona 4 how slow it could be starting off because it would take a while to get through all these different characters but every character by the time we got done with their initial story it would just leave leave me on a cliffhanger and I, I could not wait to get back to that character. I mean, I, I was really engrossed with um, what they what they were able to achieve here. And the fact that I don't particularly like that type of game and it sucked me in anyways, I think speaks volumes to how good it was. And that's kind of what we talked a little bit about yesterday, too, is just like even myself, I, I've barely played any VNs, to be frank. I mean, I've always heard the virtues of 99. Three nine, yeah, yeah. I've done a little bit. Most of my graphic adventure days uh, were with the Lucas Arts games back in the day. And even then, I didn't go uh, like, yes, too much of things. <laughs> and uh, a little bit of King's Quest here and there. And of course, I did beat the Trogdor game. Uh, for those kids out there who remember good old Taking times, of Star Runner, which, oh. by the way, has a new title screen. I was about to so say, I need yeah, to go check that flash. out. <laughs> uh, I'm excited, but it's. Um, Either way, like I haven't gotten into much before, but editing the video I was saying on the last episode, yeah, that game, it made me want to play it. It looks engrossing. I like how the characters interact. The gameplay for the combat system is really interesting. Um, Audrey, you were saying that you are interested in playing it too. What's catching your eye? Just, I mean, the level of interactivity in it is great, especially for, I've been playing more VNs that have interactivity and player choice and everything, and I really think there's a difference between that and just your linear VNs that don't really give you much option. Just press yeah. X. Yeah. So I. Yeah, like the bringing up the little like things for like conversation bubbles, like the finding stuff. Like it's it is a good combination. It seems a VN, but also graphic adventure yeah. with like the click on stuff and see what works, but not quite. It's a little more uh, focused. Yeah, that was actually my game of the year. Um, it is a. Absolutely beautiful game. Something wholly unique while still landing within visual novel. You absolutely <laughs> should. I will recommend this to my dying days oh, now. My backlog. <laughs> Weep for the backlog. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Yeah. So it, it, it yeah it tied with uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon for one of our best games of 2020, and for good reason. Like that game came out of the gate swinging too. It did well at the awards with a lot of nods to it uh, with the game awards and just throughout the year, a lot of sites gave a lot of good press. Alana loved it. It's it just it does what it does well, and I think the developers did a great job of coming out saying, "We want to do this really interesting, different game," and here it is. And then they pulled it off, and no one could say otherwise, right? Like it's so bizarre and strange—a weird mishmash of a few things that you wouldn't think would work, and it does. Yeah, I'm surprised how 
how much coverage and how much attention the game's been getting, but I think that's really cool. So, yeah, exactly. Um, for um, so yeah, get, getting back out of the that stuff. Back to best traditional RPG. Our runner-uppers for Persona Five Royal. And uh, has anyone done Persona Five here? I know Nathan was on yesterday and loved it, and it was definitely a big runner-up for uh, his best game of the year. But I think Aegis Rim edged it out for him. Yeah, Nathan just released a big preview for uh, Strikers that's coming out uh, yep. in a month or so, and uh, that's exciting if you if you like Persona Five. I so, played a decent amount of it. Uh, I can't say I've beaten it. Uh, I got in far enough to develop a relationship with the teacher. So, <laughs> yeah. So I and is that as weird as it sounds? Or <laughs> yeah, that was, that was kind of a odd note. Uh, yes. I guess if it's okay in Japan. <laughs> yeah, I guess now I'm thinking about that. That is kind of strange, huh? <laughs> but which uh, is always the thing with those games is the yeah where the lines the get cultural blurred with that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I so. I didn't play the original game. I only played the Royal version and my first persona game was persona four. And just because it was such a cherished game, I really gave it a go. And I'm one of the people in the odd minority. I just, it just wasn't for me. It was very, I I played maybe 40 hours of it and I was just, I was struggling with it. So I was apprehensive about persona five, but I saw it getting all these review, great reviews. And once the Royal version came out, I thought, okay, let me just, I'll give it another go. And it was a complete 180. I loved it. It was fantastic. It was engaging from the moment it started. The music is great. The UI is just, I mean, this is something. I think, <laughs> it's so sharp. Yeah, Stylish I, AF. I think Western RPGs just need to take a nod from Persona 5. I mean, you, you open up like something like Cyberpunk or Witcher, and it's just like a, a rectangle, right? And it's very clunky, and it just pops up. But, you know, Persona just splashes paint, and still, like words appear, and it's just... It, it, it doesn't take you out of the game, and um, I just loved it. It was, it was a fantastic experience. So I am I think I might be becoming a Persona fan. I never thought I would say good, that, good. But, but but Royal just yeah. really turned around for me. Like, I really enjoyed it. I have a similar nice. upbringing to you had. I started with Persona 4, and um, what hooked me into that game particularly was they set up this mystery at the beginning of the game that intrigued me to figure out or go through the game to see what the end is. Because usually I'm not into the, like, social, um, make friends, build up, relationship type things. And if anything, I, elements. if anything, I goof <laughs> around with it and, give, and get, like, the most awkward choices in the game. But um, uh, over the course of Persona 4, I grew to love these characters. And I actually felt sad when I got to the end of the game. And everything, and um, jumping into Persona Five, I was kind. Of, uh, and and this isn't knocking on Persona Five. This is actually, if anything, not being fair to Persona Five. I get. I went into it thinking that I was going to get a similar setup. There's going to be some mystery involved, and and while there is one that eventually builds up throughout the game, um, I felt like the game kind of built up slow for me. That like, like I felt like there should have been like some overall overarching goal to get to the end but persona 5 doesn't exactly establish that in the game until a little later so it was a game that i had to get uh a little i had to get a little more invested in because it started feeling like an episodic type game to me where we go to the next character to the next character and just like deal with their problem but overall it and then it eventually clashed into uh 
that overall arcing narrative, which I thought was really good. And um, uh, so on my second playthrough or attempt on Persona 5, I that better clicked with me. And uh, especially with Royal, when they took away a lot of that stuff I didn't like about the original game. Yeah, I would definitely say Royal just like helps you get into the swing of things a lot better. I feel like Royal would probably be on this list a lot more if Persona 5 didn't get released a few years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. As it is, I mean, it is kind of, you know, there's a lot of new content and stuff like that. It's more of a re-release than anything, but I feel like a lot of people just kind of had the mentality of, even though, you know, some people play did not enjoy 5 but loved Royal, uh, it just didn't feel like a new game, but it was a new game, if that makes sense. And it's hard when there's already some other really solid remakes and re-releases that came out this year that kind of overshadow it quite easily. Because it, it really did have its time in the sun already kind of thing, right? True. And I wouldn't understate the uh, impact that Persona 5 and Persona games in general are having on RPG. Like, I mean, a lot of, Yakuza Like a Dragon didn't just pull from Dragon Quest. It's also pulling a fair bit from the Persona games as well in terms of like right. the relationship systems. Um, and I suspect that will go forward for many other series as well people pay attention and persona 5, persona is another series that seems to be uh getting more and more traction in the west over the last couple of years um and it could be reaching critical mass pretty soon i think i don't know if it'll be strikers another but late it, it might be the poster child in the west for turn-based rpgs right now um and if it's not it's going to be in the near future i feel like Hmm. Yeah, so but, I, I mean, Joker's and Smash, so you know it's made it. Yeah, if I can give, I like, one more big compliment to Persona 5, I still, even the original one, I think it, to this day, has the some of the best modern turn-based combat and also has the best modern UI for an RPG I've ever seen. It's, like, it's so ridiculously stylized that you just can't help and love it. If we had a best UI category, it would just be like winner, absolutely persona runner up, persona five every year. I just, <laughs> although Hades looked really good, I I was watching some. They yeah. were dropping some like behind the scenes of the making of some of Hades's UI, and it's really sharp looking too. A lot of creativity went into that to make it fit the world, and I think that's the thing. Like you were saying, had is making it fit the world, which you could argue Cyberpunk was trying to do by making it, you know, like you're engaging with the computer. But I think there's in more interesting ways they could have done it. Cyberpunk sure. was trying to do a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> and that's there's a reason it did not make the list. Too many things. <laughs> yeah, I would say the the only thing the only thing with the the idea of a royal version is I, I'm not really a big fan of that idea. I, I think it's really cool that they re-released the game, but you know, when the next game comes out, you know, Persona Six. Whenever that happens, I, it's going to cross my mind. Should I buy this or should I just wait? You know, because that's, absolutely, that's always going to be the best version, or at least it has yeah. been. You know, so. And we talked about that with Nathan when uh, Persona Five. I think was it John? Was it when Persona Five came out? I think Nathan was saying he's like, "There's going to be a, a golden or whatever. Like, there's going to be another thing." And then I was just like, "So yeah, we had that discussion of." Does it behoove oh, you yeah, then just to wait on it? But he was saying, he's like, eh, I want to play it and I want to play it now. Like, I, people will still buy I, it. I think we're all going through that right now just because of the generational divide between the uh, last generation of games yeah. and the current one. Where I, like, Final Fantasy, there's no reason for me that I, sh I shouldn't be able to play Final Fantasy VII Remake right now. Except for the fact that I know that within midway through 2021, there's going to be a PlayStation 5 version released with enhanced graphics and maybe some extra features that fix some of the balance issues. 
Um, right. And then, of course, there'll be the, the final version where they release all of it as one collection. Then you're like, maybe I'll just get it then. And well, they'll, add yeah, like, they'll add like two quests into it or something. And it's just like, oh, God. I think there's an argument <laughs> to be made with like Dragon Quest Eleven S that came out recently. Um, I think yeah. what may make Persona Five a little bit of a special subject here is in Japan, Persona Five actually came out on PS3, and they eventually just got a like a PS4 port down the line. I don't know if like because of the nature of it being the PS3 version, they decided to create like a full royal PS4 version. For people to jump to, um, I think there just might be some uh, messy detail there. Um, like I know Dragon Quest Eleven, they had to build uh, or, or do a revision of the current engine to get it working on the Switch. Then they ported that to the PS4, but um, which I guess is why they couldn't just do a DLC upgrade as opposed to having to release a whole new version. Yeah, uh, so I think they might have just like uh, like all these new assets they made and put into it. They felt like it should have just been. Like a whole new game in terms of Persona, uh, just because of the, I don't know, just the, nat- the nature of the full conversion of the PS3 to PS4. It could just be a lot messier than we think it is over there. Yeah, but that's, did, that's totally fair. Yeah, anyways, I was going to say, was the amount of money spent for development the same amount as it would have been to develop a completely new Persona game? I mean, probably not. So it's, it's kind of <laughs> one of those yeah. areas where it's like, well, I think both. Both sides have. Yeah, I definitely understand the uh, against it and for it argument. Uh, I guess it's kind of a wait and see how the future, uh, like what Persona 6 handles it. Will they offer DLC to enhance the experience or will they create another uh, game of the year version of it? I think I think at this point it may be a little uh, hard to justify because even Kingdom Hearts. Uh, you know, saw that like it's just better what the content we're putting in should better off be DLC than uh, ma- making up actual final mix game. I think this is something you're fighting with just about any game that releases in you know 2021, 2020, you know, a few years back. Uh, yeah. Is that yeah. are, are you are you buying you know to play the best version of the game or are you playing you know to join the zeitgeist when it releases and that's always going to be the trade-off i mean it's the same yep. reason why uh and maybe this is a hairy situation i haven't really read the room yet but um when you're talking about physical versus digital it's kind of the same problem that if you buy a, a physical version of the game if those servers go offline and you don't have all the updates installed you're not getting the ideal version of the game it's not playable to you anyways so the the difference between you know the best version of the game and and the version that you get on launch day is going to be different for almost any game you purchase today um granted it's a lot more pronounced when you're paying for it twice like you are with persona 5 yeah if you go that route or and then you then there's the whole landfill issue with the physical copies of i'm trading in my old copy to get the royal version and then that's anyways you know there's a there's a whole thing but yeah ultimately uh it's clearly still uh, a game worth talking about sure which is why it made the list right Yep, and uh, I think that's a good point that it is very much a poster child for that, and in Yakuza kind of crossing over. Yeah, that make it all stands to reason. Um, who was our Kentucky Route Zero? That one came out of left field for me. <laughs> I Kentucky have Route never Zero? played it. So I... Yeah, who played that? Either reviewed it. How or why that made the list? Either reviewed it, I believe. Um, Kentucky uh, Route Zero has been coming out for a, a very long time, a decade now. Um, I was, that's why I was like, it's still, there's more? <laughs> yeah, it's five chapters, but chapter four came out, and then chapter five 
didn't for a number of years, and this year it got released, and there were full versions that got released on uh, Switch, the the TV version. There was a version, uh, there was the one that came out on on uh, Steam. I, I don't, I, has anyone played it? I haven't played it. I was waiting for Chapter 5 to come out to play the entire thing, and then I just didn't. Yeah, my um, backlog. That's, it's on the backlog of Doom for me as well. Yeah. Mm. Well, I remember Eva's review was pretty solid. So 2020, you have played, is it, is it, at least the prior ones, is it worth checking out? I guess it's a runner up, so apparently so. But As I understand it, it's, it's like a point and click adventure game by way of David yes. Lynch. Which, mm. I mean, I would play that. <laughs> Also, I kind of want David Lynch to design an adventure game now. That could be season. Oh, that's that'd be season four. That could be season four of Twin Peaks. <laughs> Just release it in adventure game style. Use pixel art. Have you guys played any of uh, Swery's games? The, that's what basically what what they are. <laughs> His brand. <laughs> no, I mean, does anyone else? I mean, it's we have thirteen Sentinels in Kentucky Route Zero. Um, considering that we have Audra on the channel, does anyone have el- else have any opinion what the best visual novel or adventure game would have been in 2020? Yeah, you've been contentious arguments to this one. I think 13 Sentinels is the only one I played. Buried Stars. Great, so. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, what was... Buried Stars is Yeah, because you... What was... Yeah, it was, that was the best one you played throughout the year. Because you played... Do you, do you know off the top of your head, Audra, how many you played this year for VNs? All of them. Um... <laughs> At least it seems that way based on your review output. <laughs> At least three or four. And so, uh, and what was the, sorry, what was the one that you said? Buried Stars. So yeah, what makes, what sets Buried Stars apart? Like, and I guess, yeah, you haven't played 13 Sentinels, but. Oh, I, it's another one where the interactivity was just off the charts for it. And it had such a psychological, realistic view on like celebrity, following celebrities and everything. It was Oh, I get mm-hmm. it. Buried Stars. Okay. It was quite good. It was very similar to the Zero Escape route, so oh, I okay. just thought it was really well done. I mean, I only dipped into Necrobarista, so it got my vote oh, that one looks this good. year. Uh, and that was, again, like a very happy discovery, which I put on my individual list. Yeah, it is. It, it looks lovely, but uh, I think if you're looking Aww. for the interactivity, it's kind of lacking. Yeah. Like, you just kind of follow along. In a lot of ways, but it's but it is it is a great story. It's very well directed. Like the more I was watching, I was like, oh, I'd just like to directly translate this to a short film because it just looks fantastic, and the the script writing and the characterization is really well done. A game that I've been meaning to play that's on my that's actually fairly high up on my backlog that I was surprised didn't make it onto any of the game of the year our game of the year list um, is uh, Paradise Killer. I was just about um, to yeah, bring that after one up. talking with uh, Alana about that. I know that a lot of other I know that a lot of other uh, outlets and and podcasts and stuff like that. It wasn't just like best visual novel, but also like was a contender for their game of the year. I know the Besties, uh, which is a, a great podcast, uh, debated that quite a bit. Um, but it's 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 very high on my my list of things to play in twenty twenty one, and uh, I was a little surprised it didn't, it didn't end up somewhere on this list of game of the year for us. And I think it's only because, like, I think just Caitlin had gotten around to it, possibly. It just wasn't enough people who played it. Sounds like backlog. I just downloaded it last night. Doesn't help us, but it's there. Did you get the Steam sale? It grabbed your attention. That's Wes, what matters. did you oh, get wow. the Steam sale? It A Steam sale was announced 30 seconds ago, like a minute and a half ago. It's 30% off. Uh, I nabbed it on Switch. I can't fight the, uh, <laughs> the uh, screen share. Okay. <laughs> That's A-OK. Um, 
but yeah, it's just, it was a good year for VNs. Like it's every single time Audra finished another one, I was just like, <laughs> the, I mean, I'm not shocked that there's so many still coming out because it is, yeah. a, it's a low production value game to put out in a lot of ways, but you still have to have such quality writing. Like it, it can go so wrong exactly. so fast if it's not done well. And that was probably the one thing with Buried Stars was I felt like the script translation wasn't quite as good as the overall content for it, which is, yeah. Uh, okay, so mm-hmm. a little lacking in the localization aspect. Yeah, it is what it is. Huh? But uh, moving along, we go into our strategy section, which uh, I know I'm pretty certain nobody here has played Wintermore Tactics Club. No, we have not. No. <laughs> yeah, or Crusader Kings 3. Uh, Crusader Winter. Kings 3 was a big one that came up from Nathan and, and took Nathan and Pete Leavitt by surprise. People who have been listening to the podcast know that both of them really enjoyed Crusader Kings 3. Neil took on the indie game that was Wintermore Tactics Club, and it looks rad. It's he he put it as like kind of an after school special kind of RPG. Uh, I mean, my big contender for best strategy RPG. Uh, I think I threw Star Renegades into the mix because it's, but I, I can't remember if it's more traditional or not. I wasn't certain. Maybe I didn't because I ultimately settled that it was more of a traditional RPG. But it still has like a lot of strategy to you to it. But it's not like your classic isometric thing. So I think that's why I opted out. I've just been playing a lot of War of the Visions, Final Fantasy X Bravius. Mm. Um, so that's been my tactical <laughs> RPG of 2020. I really liked the Landgresser 1 and 2 collection. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you reviewed those. So that would have been, I guess, yours for the year. I was tempted to pick that up, but I wasn't happy with the graphics. But it, it was a pretty good port otherwise. Yeah, it was pretty solid, I think. I hadn't played the original games, but I quite liked just overall the the gameplay itself. Mm. Very cool. Uh, it's yeah. There's not a lot of people talk about strategy RPGs at our site, but we do we do cover them often enough. But there's I think we have a small audience of folks at the site who who get into them. I I got into War Visions myself because I mean it has really beautiful artwork in it and. Yeah, I did like great. the uh, how it's like a spiritual successor to Final Fantasy Tactics. Um, yeah, well, the story is engaging, and I'm impressed on high on high quality it is. Oh man, all the stuff, all the micromanaging you have to do in that game, like in the back end with menus, it, yeah. it got to the point where it got too much for me, and like I, I just play it sporadically now. But like all that, all the back end stuff you have to do, like especially if you want a, a new character. To put into your roster, man, it is too much. It is. It's very clunky, which I spoke about back when I first talked about the game. Uh, that it's as much as I liked it. It has a lot of UI bloat that I feel like they really need to figure out and streamline. Final Fantasy Record Keeper is the only other kind of uh, regular mobile game I play alongside Mario Kart Tour, and Final Fantasy Record Keeper was really clunky at the gate too. And then they did a big streamlining process that I really hope they figure out a way to bring to War of the Visions because that opening screen it's just like it just feels like you're walking down like Broadway with like poster bulletin boards everywhere, uh, just kind of yelling at you about various things that you can do, which is great. I appreciate the constant reminders of all the stuff that I can get up to, and like I, I play it daily. Uh, I'm in a guild and such. Not that like they're like highly competitive, so to speak, or anything. But it's just, it keeps me on it. And I like it enough that I like doing the daily things. But it's uh, it's a lot. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But you can take it or leave it. What you want to commit to or not in it. Which is kind of nice. Because like, I find it's good, like you were saying. like There is a lot in the back end if you really want to like 
perform, I guess, in like the multiplayer-ish stuff, so to speak. And not that there's a lot of competitive stuff, but there's just like higher level quests and stuff you can get into by grinding out your characters more. But I think you can get through the story, which is fairly well written on its own, without really doing any of that stuff, which I do like. But it's hard not to ignore all the back end stuff and not feel like that FOMO that you need to get into it. And that can be very overwhelming. But if you are able to push it aside, just playing the story as its own kind of tactic story is actually pretty compelling and stands on its own well. Absolutely. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. If if you're able to overlook the micromanaging the game has, like, there is a compelling story and, like, well-designed characters and uh, Mm -hmm. something you would find. It's twisted and harem but... Yeah, more what you find akin to, like, a a Matsuno-type game. Not exactly like Matsuno, but you can tell the writing and style is very inspired by his type of work. Are there... Yeah, but I like the the adaptation of, like, the tactic style into... The, the, the noseless anime into uh, how they've rendered these models and everything is pretty impressive. Are there microtransactions in that? Because that was one thing I was concerned about that kept me from going further. Um, there are. There's there's premium stuff that you can buy if you want. But, like, I've been playing the game for ages. I have a... I'm, like... I would argue I'm, like, mid-range compared to, like, some of the people I've seen in, like, the arena or in our guild battles. So it's not intrusive. No, exactly. You don't. You don't need it. It. It, I mean, it can fast forward you. Uh, it's like playing Magic: The Gathering. You know, you can buy yourself specific, really good, mm. fancy cards, or buy a lot of packs. But you can also still have a fun time playing if you just play it and buy casually. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. a lot There's of the times games. I really wish I had more visions to unlock some cool characters. Like <laughs> I really wanted to get Kane when uh, they did the Final Fantasy IV promo, but I was also very focused on throwing all my. Um, like they have like a like a gill that just buys things, and they have the visions, which are the special things that let you unlock it, the gacha stuff, and you get those drip fed to you. But you can also pay real money to get more, obviously. Right. And so I was focusing all of those on. Uh, they gave out Cecil for free from Final Fantasy IV, so I was just trying to get Cecil up to max level. Yeah, yeah I really that's... think that's the way to go, though, is to you know make your game playable for for everyone, and and uh, you know when, when microtransactions start becoming a necessity to continue. It, it can really water down the experience. So I think yeah, that's really Yeah, and I cool. get it. They got to make money, but also there's so much ad revenue and stuff in there too, right? Like it's just... Uh. Right. Yeah, I haven't I, spent a dime on it and like... But I do get on when they get like the special promotion done. Like when they had the Shadowbringers thing in and like you pretty much get... Yeah, right now it's going on. Yeah, I was like, I had to get Thancred. Like I had to get in there and just like grind whatever <laughs> need to be grinded and get him in there. I love the Gunbreaker job so much that i had to get him into the roster this seems like a pretty good segue actually if we want to jump over a few and just go into best mobile game of 2020 yeah uh i mean pete was extolling the virtues of genshin impact and always will um you can read about um pete Leavitt's uh rise to ruin uh, <laughs> if you read his uh biography genshin impact how i shouldn't have played it but i still do anyways mm. but no it's um Audra, you were you're probably our other big player of it. You reviewed it for the site. Uh, yeah, why is Genshin Impact uh, stealing Pete's life? It's pretty fun, actually. <laughs> just, <laughs> I mean, I enjoy playing it just on its own. I try not to get too involved with the monetary stuff. I my goal is to not put money into it. So that I've been playing it, and it still is totally playable and. Just, yeah, I like the combat system and how much stuff you can actually do throughout the game. Gliding will forever be fun. And it looks fantastic. Are you playing it on PC or on phone, or do you dabble between the two? I actually play it on the PS4, which I think is the weakest version. 
graphically, ah. but it's not too bad. Oh, that's right. It did come on PS4. And it's, um, we didn't get to dive into it too much. Just P was saying, again, a lot of how great it is, but also uh, be wary. It can suck away your life. Yeah, but, it can uh, be very time consuming. Yeah. And we've talked in the past and uh, about it and how uh, a lot of that has been bandied about when it first came out too, about how it's the better Breath of the Wild, so to speak. Uh, and does that does that still hold true now that it's not as fresh and as exciting for everybody? I actually, I've never played Breath of the Wild, so I can't, I've never been able to compare it. Uh-huh, okay. I mean, does someone really say it's better than Breath of the Wild? Uh, I mean, I guess maybe. No, I, I still can't think of how it's better than Breath of the Wild. I, I put maybe like 35 to 40 hours in the Genshin Impact, and I played Breath of the Wild as well. And this was actually a game that I was very positive about when I saw it announced, and I was kind of baffled by some of the some of the anger out there regarding it because people were upset that it did look like breath of the wild. And I thought that was really weird that people were upset. Yeah, Cause about a that. lot of games do that. Yeah. But like breath of the wild is one of the best games that's come out in the last decade. Why would you not try to try to emulate that? You know, if this game moved uh, the gaming industry forward in order for that to happen, other places have to emulate that. I understand that if it was a total copycat, that might be a, a problem, but I played it. And yeah. It, it yes. is not, as much Breath of the Wild as I thought. It, it has a very different... I mean, aesthetically, it can be, but the gaming loop is very much more uh, tabletop-oriented, I think. And, uh, you know, you have party members. You, oh, interesting. You have to, uh, you know, worry about your gear and uh, upgrading stats. And, um, you know, yeah, it kind of reminded me of a... Do your weapons break? <laughs> I, th- I think right. that's what sold people. No, I don't think they do. <laughs> is that there's no breakable weapons. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it apparently got people mad, someone mad enough to smash their PS4 to the ground uh, for this game. Well, that is the worst but, version, so that's yeah. probably a good move. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, Well, I, I don't really get that mentality, though. If something, like, just heavily, like, even if, like, something, like, straight out rips it off, it's like, do you really think, like, the game will be a threat to the IP it gets inspired from? Especially something like Zelda. It's just... Like I just don't see a reason to get angry over it. I mean, there may but be the game reasons came to... out on 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 the Switch, right? So Nintendo's making money off of it too, and they're not yeah. upset about it. Yeah, so. it's like maybe raise an eyebrow to it or or pity it in some ways. But if they still manage to do something that's unique and that very traditional, or like or like a form of formula they clearly took inspiration from, I really don't see a big deal. I think part of the problem is. Uh... I mean, there were there was some controversy about it when it came out based on censorship issues uh, involving mm, yeah. uh, Hong Kong, Taiwan. Um, I also think that there is an element of uh, racism about the game in which it was it was developed by a Chinese developer. Um, and I do recall when the game first came out, seeing some uh, uh. crap online about it's it's just a Chinese knockoff. They're just ripping off it, like that kind of mentality. Um, they're just ripping off Breath of the Wild. Uh, I feel that on <laughs> if you're if you're against Chinese developers of video games, you're going to be in for a bad decade ahead because it's right. It's it, like absolutely they're going to be developing video games, and their industry is just going to be getting bigger because they have the talent, they have the technology, they have the money. Um, yep, and they're going to be creating some amazing, amazing games over the next decade. And yeah, I. Absolutely, one hundred percent agree with uh, the uh, with the pushback against it for uh, censorship. 
Um, but that's almost a separate issue to the level of, I honestly think, racism that was put against the game just because it was developed by the Chinese. Yeah, that's a very That's what that's I would have said, Donald, point. but I didn't want to get into it. <laughs> yeah, I know. we. Uh, it's very random. It's a good game regardless, though. I mean, I, I didn't have to pay a penny, and I put 40 hours into it. And uh, I, I think that's that's just awesome that, you know, during this year when people are losing their jobs and, you know, they, they don't have as much money coming in that they can go play this for free and get a lot of enjoyment out of it. I think that's really cool. I'll yeah, say it's this, a good standalone solid game. Yeah, I'll say this as someone who put literally three over 300 hours into Breath of the Wild. Uh, Genshin Impact didn't click with me. <laughs> um, I, I guess I'm just not uh, really thrilled with like the world and characters in it. Um, I do appreciate and like that's some a big difference that's going to be between the two. Yeah, they I the exploration factors and everything seem pretty cool and everything. Um, for some reason, like the in the back of my head, I feel like I can see the painting on the wall and like like where the game eventually ends up if you actually invest it. Which is I've seen a couple whales uh, in game who are putting just massive amounts of money just to get like oh, one yeah. character in some weird S tier rank type thing and i'm like no i don't want to put myself in that situation at all it yeah just i can see that immediately. i i tried not to spend the money down towards it so there really is a tremendous fan community around it though the the fan art scene and you know the the characters even though it is kind of gotcha based that tends to build up this this community who loves these characters and if, if you go you know searching around any fan sites it is packed it is it is a very active fan community because apparently it's a very oh, no good doubt. game. That's the bottom line. Yeah, exactly. Tales of Crystoria. I don't think anyone here plays. Very briefly, no, I haven't. <laughs> to the point where I, I didn't. Yeah. I, I didn't even know it got I released in twenty twenty. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't think. I mean, again, there's not a lot of people who are very vocal if they play them at all about a lot of the gacha games at the site. I mean, I debated throwing War of the Visions into the ring as well, although I. I think that came out 2020, or was it just at the tail end of 2019? I, I think it was, was just the tail end of 2019, actually, it dropped. Yeah. It could have gone, maybe gone into the ring for best ongoing, but it was one of those things where it was like, I should really get around to maybe writing a review for it or something. And I didn't feel right either way throwing that in there. But Crystoria looks neat. People who like Tales and want more Tales. It's a gorgeous go, mobile game. Which I think is a really neat thing we're getting to. So does this game actually, it's supposed to, because my, my concern a lot of times is when they take these big franchises and they make mobile games out of it and they try to build it as, you know, oh, another game in this series. I, I'm always apprehensive about that because I, I feel like it's not going to be the same experience, but it's it's a runner up. So I, I guess, um, do we know if it's if it landed with Tales players, like it's a legitimate Tales experience or... I could probably speak to that. I think story, from what I hear, story wise, it has a pretty strong story, but like a lot of well, the, um, but you're still going through a lot of the mobile gotcha elements uh, while tra traversing through it. It's not a traditional Tales game by any means, but like if you're if yeah. you love the storytelling and world building of Tales games, uh, from what I have read, I heard it does deliver on that. Well, what's the interesting thing? Uh, just what you kind of just touched on there, Hat, as the fact that. We seem to be entering this interesting golden age with uh, the gacha market now where the big franchises are starting to jump in on it and realize, oh, there's money to be made here. We can make a, a smaller scope version of our game, which 
take it or leave it as you want as a gamer. There's a part of you that's like, that's cool, but could you just make another mainline series? We'd really like that. But sometimes also it's like, this is the only way we're going to get another uh, Breath of Fire if they decide to do a Breath of Fire gotcha. But like, you know, I think they did do a Breath of Fire. They did. Yeah, they did like an, uh, I think it was like a a browser based one, right? It was straight out called Breath of Fire 6. And Ark of the Land. But you, you know what I mean, though? (laughs) <laughs> like we have Dragon Quest Tact coming out. There's the 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 Dragon Quest of the Stars or whatever the heck that one was, and then yeah, there's the, all the Final Fantasy ones now. I mean, Mario has it for Mario Kart and Mario Run, and like there, there's just so many people trying to seize on the gacha market because they realize that a lot of people are casually playing on their phones, and so we're going to see a lot more of these big things. And I get where you're both coming from, Hat and Eric, with the you know, does it is it necessary to get into? Uh, that's you know, we have Octopath coming up. Will that be integral to the story? Will we need to play this free-to-play game to get more of the story? Or is it more just, is it all just fan service? Is that why people like it so much? Because they're like, hey, there's my favorite character who's now fighting with this other character. That's the only reason I play Final Fantasy Record Keeper. Yeah, now, to to further add to your point, like, people might not like the gacha, but um, Fire Emblem is so ridiculously popular now because of the contribution of the mobile game that came out. Well, I was going to say the, and that's a, that's a fair point too, that it's, you know, popularizing these games in ways that wasn't done before. It's expanding the audience, which is really cool. But I guess the thing that depresses me a lot of times though, is these mobile games, they're, they're just not supported after they have their run and they'll just disappear. I mean, uh, Final Fantasy Mobius, that closed down and you can't even play the yeah. game anymore. And there's, you know, Square Enix games like Chaos Rings, that whole trilogy, you basically can't play those anymore they're they're nowhere to be found you can't buy them you can't download them it'd be them. nice to see a port to it right yeah so it's it's kind of sad there's a disposable yeah. mindset to a lot of online games and i 100 percent agree that it's 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 tragic because some of these games are real quality and if you are interested in uh in game history then uh we're going to be losing a, a lot of it in the next few years i remember some great games that came out for uh i remember some great games that came out like on just the iPhone, like in the earlier days, that looked amazing, beautiful pixel art, some great gameplay, uh, and they're gone. They're they're utterly gone because the developers closed up shop. They couldn't they couldn't make it, and because of that, those uh, properties just remained in the App Store. And then when <clears throat> the App Store, when the phone switched over uh, to uh, oh, why am new I new operating system like a new OS? Yeah. yeah, new OSs. There was just no one to update the games, so they're they're unavailable now. Like, if I go through my iOS history, purchase history, there are a lot of games that are just grayed out on that I cannot download <laughs> anymore that I really, really enjoyed, and I kind of wish I, you know, could play again. Um, and some of those games were even before the time of gotcha mechanics, and they were, like, full-fledged, uh, they were full-fledged playable games, which is kind of, I mean, that's, again, that's that's part of the tragedy of mobile gaming is that we... Mobile games and gacha games have kind of become synonymous, which is a problem because a lot of them aren't. I think that it's a weakness of, and believe me, I, as the head of reviews, this is on me in a lot of ways. RPG fan doesn't cover a lot of mobile games, possibly because it's just so much of it is shoveled out nonstop and so much of it is terrible. And then occasionally you get a incredible bright spot that's a game that would not just be console worthy, but like one of the best games of the year. And we just don't cover it because we, we can't find it. There's just too much. Um, I don't know how sites like Touch Arcade uh, manage to review as much as they do. 
because so much comes out on a nonstop basis. You would just have to be just focused on just that. Yeah. Like, I mean, look at what came, let's just take Apple Arcade, for example, um, which is something that I'm going to be subscribing to uh, in the next year because I bought an Apple Watch and I discovered I love Apple Fitness, so I might as well just get the Apple One package. And hey, Apple Arcade's included. But like games... Not to mention Sakaguchi's game is coming out pretty soon for uh, Apple Arcade. Temptation. Yep. Cat Quest 2 came out. Uh, looking through Ocean Quest, or Ocean Ocean Horn uh, <coughs> 2 came out, which, you know, I loved Ocean Horn 1 and Ocean Horn 2 looks pretty pretty dead set to be a 3D traditional Zelda-esque game. Um, in the next year, uh, the sequel to, uh, uh, is it Beneath the Steel Sky or Beyond the Steel Sky? The sequel. I can't remember. Uh, Shantae and the Seven yeah. Sirens came out, uh, originally on Apple Arcade this year. Like, there are some, There's a lot of stuff. There are some amazing games that are coming out, and I think I'm going to put a real effort into 2021 trying to sift through and find some games which very firmly fit into our coverage and which are amazing, but we just don't really cover because, you know, not a lot of people are subscribed to Apple Arcade uh, and there's just so much out there. On this note, though, I mean, this year, 2020, I I believe, was the the closure of Terra Battle 2, and that just speaks to how a lot of these games are are going away because, I mean, that's the creator of Final Fantasy. If his games can't make it, you know, some of these smaller games are definitely not going to make it uh, yeah. in the long run. So I love Terra Battle 1 so much. Like, like after yeah. I beat the game, I legit, like, gave 20 bucks to them. Like, I didn't use it for anything. Like, I, I didn't even play the game anymore after it. I just straight out gave them 20 bucks, and I was like, the story was awesome, character designs are great, the battle system was You just gave them a engaging. tip. Thanks. I was like, man, they de- they deserved it. Here's twenty bucks. It's a real shame because <laughs> these games are now gone. And I was hoping they at least put them like on Steam or PC and let you play like uh like some kind of um, paid for version because they did that with uh, Final Fantasy Dimensions Two. While we never got that in America uh, as a gotcha game, it was a gotcha game in Japan, and uh, that ended over there. And they decided just to release the full game over here and just let the gotcha elements be like a like a system in the game and you have ways in the game to grind uh whatever currency needed for it like i was kind of hoping they'd like do that for any games that shut down but we haven't really seen that happen too much so far that's the thing that's a it's it's a sad a sad day that we've obviously the 3ds is now (laughs) done and uh the the psp so the hope is that some of the stuff keeps getting ported to stuff like the switch where the systems aren't updating so fast that you can't always go back. Like, if you want to play Crimson Shroud, which is a game that probably would have been made for mobile these days, you can still go back and download it in the, the DS store. It's not gone anywhere, even right. if the developers are or aren't supporting it, right? So, <laughs> it is a thing. Um, our other ongoing game, though, speaking of stuff that is ongoing, I mean, Getchen Impact was a big deal. And it sounds like, even after your review, Audra, you've kept coming back to it. And it was our runner-up for best ongoing. But Shadowbringers is still our... Mm-hmm. Our obvious dominator. Zach made the choice this year to kind of switch from best MMORPG to best ongoing to kind of broaden the category and not just make it always Final Fantasy XIV. Uh, a beautiful Partly, choice too, he made. We don't play a lot different. <sighs> Looks like it's my usual, my customary time to open up the Steam page for Final Fantasy XIV and look at it longingly throughout the rest of the episode, thinking I can just <laughs> buy it now and play a little bit off it and see if I like it. And knowing that... There, 
there's my year. Yeah. Oh, that's tricky. Free trial version, man. You can play the main game and have That might be the uh, all the way to the That might be the biggest innovation of this year. I actually during the summer got the um, PS4 starter edition for Around the Board. Started trying that out. And what are you thinking of it? It's yeah. pretty fun, but I'm nowhere close to getting Shadowbringers yet. <laughs> I've been working <laughs> on it for six years. <laughs> I'll, I'll play it for like four days, and then yeah, I won't touch it again for of... another six or seven months, and then I'll. It's oh, there's so much it. to play. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you on our podcast, like I, I adore <laughs> Final Fantasy fourteen. I've been playing it almost every day since one uh, came out, and. Uh, I've just been following the story and lore of it, and like it's something you need to get into. I know a lot of people are like, "Oh, you know, I, I just can't overlook the MMO aspects of it." Uh, the more you play it's it, especially the best writing I've heard, getting into Heaven's Ward, you will see that it still plays more like a single-player Final Fantasy game than an MMO. Um, I would say like eighty-five percent of it is just going through single-story content than. The other 15% is when you actually have to interact with people. But like I said, I'll, I'll die on that hill. It has some of the best Final Fantasy stories ever. And I think Shadowbringers has probably the best villain to ever come out in Final Fantasy since Sephiroth. Those are those are big words. Those are no big to, words. No need to <laughs> die on the hill, I believe you. Yeah. Yeah, I'll die on that hill, man. Yeah. Well, Sephiroth might be the contentious one there. Well, speaking of Sephiroth, mm-hmm. he made some appearances on the list. We talked about him yesterday a little bit, but there's another place <laughs> yeah. he showed up, actually. Yeah, the uh, the DLC errand? Or... Yeah, the best or... DLC for 2020, which actually got <laughs> awarded... Our best DLC for 2020 got awarded to a non-RPG, but seems to be heading in that direction. If they keep adding characters from RPGs, it might as well be in the upcoming years. Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. Um, yeah, I was going to... Abe or Wes, Audra, are any of you Smash players? I am players? not. I have not yet. A little bit. Seems I'll play fun. some Smash here and there. Have you been keeping up on the latest content or whatever? Uh, I keep up with it uh, religiously. So, <laughs> um, so you're pretty stoked for some Sephiroth action and Byleth action? Oh, yeah, man. Uh, when Sephiroth got announced at that game show, because I was kind of loathing uh, being watching the game show. And the first thing they show is Sephiroth, and I start, like, eating. <laughs> or I start reading the whole, whole thing. I was so excited. And, like... My wife comes and she's like, what are you screaming about? I was like, they put Sephiroth in the game. And then like, I'm thinking like Cloud singing like, oh man, I can't have one game without this guy being in here with me. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Sephiroth is yeah. pretty awesome in that game. He ha- um, I don't know where he ranks with like the tournament players or something. I don't really take that into account, but his moveset is awesome. Everything is inspired by moves that he does in the game. Uh, even like he, his A down move. Is him coming down from the top, like similar to how uh, he, a certain someone uh, meets their end in the game. Spoilers, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he does exactly like that. Um, he has a lot of fire, magic like moves. Um, if you hit him over 100%, um, depending on where your stock is or if you're winning in the game or not, his, his uh, one wing will come out that greatly increases your power. Uh, oh, interesting. While uh, playing, and his ultimate smash is he turns into safer Sephiroth and uh, <laughs> uh, does his like meteor move and just uh, <laughs> annihilates you, destroys uh, everything. Yeah. The one cool yeah, blows up the entire thing world <laughs> they put in is uh, for Cloud's ultimate, it's just like uh, 
I forgot exactly what his normal uh, Ultimate so Smash is, but he has one particularly for Sephiroth. So, like, at the end oh. of Advent Children, he does the uh, Omni Slash with the multiple weapons. Like, he does that yes. to Sephiroth in Smash Bros. That I feel like is what kind of inspired uh, Noctis's kind of ability in 15. Yeah. Um, but he's a great character overall. He has a good range to him. Um, if you're someone that uh, likes to play from a distance, uh, he ha- he does have a good uh, range move set. So it- it's nice. a solid character they put in there for sure. Both of these characters are really heavy commitment characters, which is kind of interesting too. They both take big old swings and uh, leave huge openings. So you have to be kind of like smart and tactical to play as as. Yeah, Wes, have you played with uh, Byleth? I have. Um, it's it's interesting because everyone was so scared of having yet another Fire Emblem Sword character. Oh God, please yeah. don't do this to me again. And then she comes out and she's completely different. I, I sorry, she is like the the default headcan, and this is how I played Three Houses. Um, totally fair. Uh, she's you know using all of the 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 primary weapons of all of the other house leaders from Three Houses, which means that most of her attacks involve her swi- switching up her 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 move set a little bit and. She's got a lot of these really heavy committee commit heavy moves, and then even her base move set with her sword isn't quite like you know yet another Marth, Roy, Crom, whoever else clone. Um, she's got that whip sword that gives her a little bit of extra range, a little bit of interesting interaction. Um, she it, it was so interesting to see like the eye roll at yet another Fire Emblem character, and then for her to come out and just be totally different from from what we've seen before, which is very smart for them to yes. do. Especially because Three Houses was such a big success. It makes sense to get some representation in there. Um, but to do it in a way that people won't be tired of <laughs> after all these Fire Emblem yeah. characters. It was dicey, no doubt. And still no Waluigi. I dream. Too bad. <laughs> Jono, uh, you are a resident uh, Cadence of Hyrule reviewer and getting into the DLC. I so badly want to play that game. It's on my list of things to do. It just falls by the wayside because I'm like, I could spend the money on it. Or I could just keep up on my backlog for the moment. I will get to it someday because just the music is stellar. I want to try that gameplay out. I do have Crypt of the Necrodancer now, so I do want to go back and try that one out first. It's it's funny. Uh, since the game came out, uh, I reviewed it. I mean, it was a big surprise announcement at E3 2019, which was 175 years ago. Um, and I really enjoyed it. It's a full, it's a Zelda game. Uh, it's a randomized Zelda game, which is, you know, fantastic for replay value. If you liked Crypt of the Necrodancer, you're probably really going to like Cadence of Hyrule. If you don't like rhythm games, you're going to go crazy trying to play it. Um, because there are a lot of, uh, I mean, you have to keep to the rhythm if you want to get the maximum amount of diamonds per screen. Uh, I think that the DLC is fantastic. It releases... Three remixes of the already existing soundtrack, one chiptune, one heavy metal, and one dance music. Um, and it, it's still the same songs, the same, the exact same music, it's just the arrangement of them. Um, but it does provide some nice replay value and provides some nice new files to put on my iPhone. Um, there are a few other uh, quests that are added to it now. Uh, two full new uh, campaigns, lots of extra characters. Um... I am a big fan of the game. It is not the game that I would say you should download if you're looking for a maximum fulfilling Legend of Zelda feel. If you want that, from what I have heard, I would. I think that uh, Age of Calamity is probably your best bet. But if you are looking for a game that you can play in the margins, like games that you don't need to super, super put a lot of your energy into... 
uh, and Focus. I think it's a great example of that. To be honest, it's a shame that it's just out on Switch. It would work. This is a game that would work extremely well on a touchscreen iOS device, Android, uh, things like that. I think that if they did that, it might actually get even more uh, more traction. But that being said, I don't think it deserved the best DLC of the year. I think it's exactly where it deserves to be in runner-up position. Yeah, we didn't have a, it's not a lot of, there was one that came to mind as a piece of DLC that I was like, oh, that could have been a good one as well. And I can't even think what it was, but it's not like we had a big year for a lot of big DLCs. Like a lot of people were just trying to get their stuff out. Yeah, this year. I think the only other one I can think of was Cindered Shadows from Fire Emblem Three Houses. Yep. Yeah. Which you played for us, if yeah, I'm not mistaken. It's pretty good. It was, yeah. You gave it a good review. It was a... Uh... It held up well and added more to that game that was yep. already good. I was surprised that DLC the for Center Shadows, the difficulty was really ramped up, which I really appreciated because, I mean, I played it at normal, the, the main game. So just having that extra challenge, I, I got a lot of fun out of it. The the battles, though, would take me an hour and a half to two hours. So it was. It felt like an old... Yeah, it could take a while. Yeah, I really had to, like, quarantine some time or it's, uh, cut out some time to... You know, just be in quarantine and just play one battle, you know. <laughs> Thank goodness for the Switch being able to go on standby, I guess, as long as no one in the house wants to use it. Yeah, I'm still true. glad I gave Three Houses a second chance because I fell in love with it a second time. And going through that DLC content was a blast in itself. So, yeah, I definitely agree. That's uh, definitely one of the better DLCs Fire Emblems come out with over the years. Yes. Well, it's really nice, too, because Three Houses is a game that really benefits from multiple playthroughs. The different arcs that you go through are um of course. Are sufficiently different and having excuse to go back with that dlc and then having those characters the rest of your playthrough it really encourages you to go back and play one of the other the other uh branches so moving along abe i haven't heard from you recently what's uh what's some stuff that you want to chat about because i want to give you a bit of a chance to ch- chat more well uh i had my first review for the uh the falconeer um, yeah, right, and I through a playthrough and nominated a, nominated for best uh, graphics. Uh, I feel like that's a game that probably not very many people have played. Uh, but <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, if uh, if you like uh, very picturesque sunsets, it's a it's a very good uh, uh, kind of relaxing game. If you just want to fly around, the right. gameplay gameplay is just kind of okay, but. It's it's fun to explore. <laughs> nice. What else on the list have you have have you played Hades or Chronicles or as you know Blade Chronicles or anything else on the list at the moment? Uh I don't think anything else on the rest of the list. Gotcha. Now one thing we did talk about last episode was Hades. It won best indie RPG. Uh, but our runner up was a runner up in two categories, would be Sakuna of Rice and Ruin, which I didn't actually realize was an indie. And then it also took home a uh, runner-up for Best Unconventional slash Hybrid RPG, which is, again, it's got its weird, wacky kind of farming mechanics, but then it's side-scrolling, arcade action, RPG action. Uh, I don't know if anyone here has played it. I have been. It's so fun. It's a really fun game, and the rice mechanics are so weirdly in-depth and relaxing and interesting. It's a really pretty game. Um, is it on anyone's radar here? It's on my radar. Uh big year last year so it's it's it'll get there well yeah yeah exactly i mean it's a little intimidating for me the the unique aspects of it so i've been just waiting till it goes on a big sale to try it out 
Yeah, it's that's on my radar. Like, the too. esoteric nature of rice farming is so interesting, but it's like, especially when you get to those like rice farming moments, you just feel like you're in a Ghibli movie, just like hanging out in like the era of like my neighbor Totoro of like I'm gonna clean my own rice. I'm going to plant my rice in the fields. We're all going to sing rice planting songs as part of the story. That's something I've been so interested in because you're not the first person I've heard say that the rice part is so relaxing. And I keep thinking, oh man, this sounds so in-depth. Like it's going to be it's going to be intimidating to get into. It's going to be hard to. Like how, how does that come off as, as so relaxing um, to do something <laughs> so micromanagey? It's pretty... Like, it's weird. It's in-depth, but also light. Like, they do a good job of holding your hand into understanding how the experience works. Because the whole idea with Sukuna is you are a, a god who has fallen from grace. And she has to help these mortals essentially successfully tame an island. And through that also get a good harvest to reinstate her power as a harvest god. And to bring the harvest back to the heavens. Because that was part of what happened with her falling out of grace. She basically ruined the gar- the the god's uh, rice stock so part of it, it kind of falls into that and you have just you only have like the one plantation which is helpful so unlike say like a, a harvest moon or a story of seasons uh stardew valley where you have multiple plots and so much other stuff to kind of manage that all feeds into the farming the farming is really just kind of its own thing some of the other other stuff like you can find things to help you make compost that will better your harvest and stuff but even if you don't do that you'll be okay. You'll just get, obviously, better results if you put a little bit more time and effort into figuring those things out. Um, but they give you a lot of help in terms of, oh, okay, if I put in a bit more water here, it'll help me at this time of day if I let the water drain out. Um, like, it's just, it's the kind of, like, the satisfaction of still figuring out a new thing, but then also knowing you've done a job well done, which is what I think makes it relaxing. And again, that you just have there's enough hints and helps to make it feel like you're doing it all right. And then when you get into the mechanics of like cleaning the rice, preparing the rice, that sort of stuff is very, it's um, quick timey and very rhythmic. And is in a way you can like, Oh, it's kind of like you could see where for some people it might be a time waster for other people. It's just the, the monotony of it, of just doing the job and seeing the results is reward in and of itself kind of thing. And then you get you know, the actual reward of getting good rice or unlocking achievements and all that sort of stuff too. And then you can break out that up though very easily by being, you could, you could ignore it for a season if you really felt like it. Uh, it just kind of slows down your pacing in the game as it would in like a harvest moon or something like that, where the success of your farm can lead to getting better results with getting to know people around the town. So you could just focus on the action RPG stuff for a bit too. And like either or is kind of the kind of thing you can backseat to whenever you feel you need a break. That sounds like the exact kind of relaxing life that maybe we all need right now. (laughs) And I think that's the other thing, too, is it just kind of came at the right time with 2020 and people, you know, liking that escape with Animal Crossing, uh, like just having that slice of life, get away from it all uh, attitude where the stakes aren't very high. (laughs) You know, you just go in, you plant some rice. Mechanically, I find the rice planting is a little awkward, just the way you have to move because you're trying to move backwards and position yourself in a weird way, and it doesn't always translate well camera-wise. And you're like, "Ah, oh, I messed up my spacing," and because that all matters. So, but once you get it, you get it. And uh, like, yeah, my second season, I'm definitely already off to a better start. And then you can also send out your helpers that go to your other fields and stuff eventually too. Like you, you just have the one field to manage, but you can still. How well that one does, I think, is governed the rest of them. I don't know. I haven't gotten that 
far into the second year yet. It's got cute animals. Like I just got a Shibu Inu that's hanging out on the farm now that you can pick <laughs> up and cuddle and stuff and rub its belly. The characters are endearing. The other thing that's also surprisingly in-depth is like the cooking system where you don't cook. There's someone that does it for you, but you still have to give her the right ingredients. And that kind of governs how happy everybody is for things. And there's always these really nice conversations around the dinner table that are well put together and thoughtful. Teaches you a bit of the history of like of rice, the history of uh, the culture. Because uh, I think it's rooted in Japanese mythos. Uh, yeah, that seemed like believe. it. And so you learn a bit of, like, yeah, the, the, the divide between the heavens and the mortals and how that all works. Like, it, it's just it's just interesting. It's like you're playing through kind of like a history lesson, lesson in such an interesting way. I didn't realize that there's actual history rooted in that game. I, I thought it was a, a fantasy world for some reason. So that's that's cool. That makes me more intrigued to pick it up. Like, it's definitely a fantasy in so much of it, but I feel like it is rooted in real world things. But I, I, I again, I haven't done the research, so I, you don't quote me on it. Like, I don't know if these are real true gods <laughs> right. represented in it, but it does. But uh, what I've seen touched on in other parts of uh, Japanese media sure. is it seems like it is rooted at least in their mythology and um, and and uh, methods and such like that. Yeah. Their creation okay. uh, mythos. But yeah, so anyways, if you do want something that's just like this weird mishmash, Sakuna of Rice and Ruin is kind of the weird to go. I mean, I think I threw Star Renegades, which I will keep standing so hard on this podcast right now, uh, in there as like a nice little hybrid between like tactical and sort of like the point and click adventure and whatever. But these both are good games. The winner, of course, was Moon, which we had never seen over on Western Shores. And it's, you know, touted as like the anti-RPG, the weird sort of uh, idea that you're kind of against like the the typical rpg protagonist is now kind of the antagonist and you're trying to save all the monsters that this person's going around uh, unconditionally murdering uh wes i know you've played a bit of it isaac was our reviewer on it but um i want to get to it is it is it as good as as was worth waiting for it is this utterly unique beautiful game about kindness and love uh which is not something you get very often where at no point yeah, are you trying to like fight monsters. Um, you're leveling up, but you're leveling up by helping people, by by making connections with people. It's got this amazing, gorgeous soundtrack that's super ambient. It's it's beautiful, and it looks very much of its time. It's one of those like kind of PS One era two D games that that has a distinctive style you can't really shake. the The localization is absolutely beautiful, um, and and I mean people have been hearing about this forever, and actually getting the chance to play it and, and have it like so lovingly brought together is is a real treat uh, to spend time with. It looks. Um... Yeah, like you're saying, like that's one thing that really stands out is just how unique it looks and how that does feed into the unique perspective of the game itself. And it's not, uh, it's cool to have this game come out now that we also know that Toby Fox was heavily inspired by this game, and you yes. can definitely see it in doing a pacifist run of Undertale, where that came from. Yeah, this game looks absolutely fascinating. I've never really heard of it much. Um, I'm definitely intrigued to try it. The main character really reminds me of Rayman a lot, I guess. <laughs> yeah, there's a very Rayman aesthetic to a lot of it. Yeah, not not just the character design alone, just like the aesthetics and everything. And I mean, this screams PlayStation One. In so yes. Many ways. <laughs> the animations are so like beautiful and over the top, and like when you, it's got that that 
early not quite voice acting voice acting that you get out of like the banjo and kazoo banjo kazooies of the world where you know it's rah, got, rah, 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 exactly kind of thing. <laughs> and everyone's got their so own it's unique like voice animal crossing combined with their super over the top uh expressions it just you feel like a part of this this kind of cartoon world and you know there's there's story reasons for a lot of the crazy aesthetics in it but it all plays into like you feel like a kid sucked into his video game system <laughs> uh like captain n yeah I, maybe slightly more artistically redeeming than captain n but i know it's <laughs> it's a tight line draw but it's uh yeah and i guess that also counts as kind of being a re-release in a way yeah but also not uh but yeah this was also a big year for remakes re-releases and uh, obviously final fantasy 7 won that category as we mentioned last episode and it's, it was a hard one to top i threw my hat in the ring with uh, trials of mana because i loved that remake fantastic remake as well. game fantastic fantastic yeah. game and uh, i don't know i mean xenoblade chronicles definitive edition was our runner-up and that's a hard game to top in many ways because it was definitely hindered in many ways by its time because and i would say that is exclusively graphically i mean they may have streamlined some of the gameplay mechanics a bit if it was released in a modern era and it looks great. Like, I got to cover it for on the Switch, and it looks fantastic now. But, I don't know, it didn't really innovate. It's like, it, it's... It, again, it's it's more just a re-release with just a, a polished version. Whereas, why, why I liked putting Trials of Mana, say, in the, into the ring was that it innovated on its predecessor as a re-release and being more of a remake. If I could touch I on this a little bit... Uh, I. Xenoblade Chronicles, the original, is one of my favorite RPGs of all time. I, I loved it. Yeah, it's fantastic. And so for for that reason, it's I think it's it's awesome that it came out this year. But I agree with you in that you know some of the added features there there are good features that were added. The extra content at the at the end of the game, uh, being able to track the quests. Some of the new uh, soundtrack is really cool too. The the new environments look gorgeous. But yeah. But it wasn't like a, a enough new material for me personally, for me to be comfortable saying that it was the uh, best remake of the year. And some of the stuff I, I was kind of in the middle on too, where, you know, the, the added soundtrack's cool, but some of the songs I preferred the original, some of the newer ones were better. The, the, the added story bit at the end is good, but it's not amazing. So, uh, you know, and even the art yeah, it style. It kind of fell flat for a lot of people at the end there. Yeah. It dances on that fine line of being a remaster and a remake because yeah. a lot of it's not been touched in some aspects. But at the same time, I think like where the important stuff really matters, uh, they hit really hard on uh, like the UI interface. Just mm -hmm. it's yeah. revamp. Just Huge to me, that alone makes it the definitive edition. <laughs> um, I guess what I guess what I was getting at was just you know the the added material if i look at only the added material it's good but it's not as exceptional as i would say seven remake or you know the complete revamp with trials of mana Whereas yeah i this agree is just it an doesn't improved experience it doesn't the game's not different enough or like changed significantly enough that that i feel like it tops other games of 2020 like you said trials of mana is just like a full on remake uh, and just in every sense of the word, like a faithful remake on top of that. Yeah. To, to speak briefly to that epilogue content, though, I 
this might be me calling my my shot a little bit because I've seen how the Xeno games have evolved over the years. But <laughs> I am highly suspicious that that epilogue content is going to be a lot more meaningful once we see whatever Xeno Blade Chronicles three, whatever form that is. Um, seeing sure. how like the meta narrative of this has evolved, um, while that doesn't help this as a game like this year, um, there is a part of me that's very excited to see. Okay, there were little hints and teases about things that that's I get fair. the feeling will be uh, a lot more weighty. Uh, in the future yeah it's an interesting theory uh i kind of just looked at it as um something i felt like that didn't necessarily need to be answered but you know i, I guess it's nice they did because in the game like the what happened ultimately to the remaining high entia wasn't really uh, uh touched upon and uh or amelia's story wasn't really uh ended per se so it, it was nice that we did get this kind of content, but at the same time, I don't think anyone was screaming for it either. So maybe there are some ties to a future game, and maybe this is like all a long-term plan. Yeah, totally fair. Uh, Abe or Audrey, did I have you play the original on the Wii? Yeah, um, I was actually going to say, I think, wasn't the, uh, the original game kind of hard to find? Um, I remember in the US, at least it was like... It was like a GameStop exclusive or something. <laughs> and it was part uh, of the Operation Rainfall or so, whatever it was? Yeah, so yeah. I feel like maybe part of the reason it's it could stand as a remake is because maybe just a lot of people didn't play the original game. That's fair. That's true, and not a lot of people did on the 3DS because you needed the new myself. 3DS for that. Yeah, I did play part of it on the Wii, and then I ended up, I think, selling my copy somehow. I liked it, but then it was too difficult at times, so... <laughs> it's very over it, it, again it, it was really pushing that machine and it was very much ahead of its time for that machine and I, again the same vein as like, i could see like final fantasy 12 was like that for the playstation 2 like there's mm. always those machines uh sorry there's always those games i find at the near the end of a life cycle that just gets really ambitious and really goes for gusto and Z, the original xenoblade chronicles was definitely that and yeah that's a valid point that you bring up abe that maybe it's just the accessibility wanted over for a lot of folks that people could finally play it for the first time now and it's definitely like the definitive version for sure yeah before the switch version came out the most accessible way to get it was the wii u digital shop i think it was available on there with the classic controller but then again a lot of people didn't buy the wii u either so i guess the switch is technically not the most accessible means of getting that game uh, i remember it was also the only uh new 3ds exclusive <laughs> yeah <laughs> One of the benefits, to, to speak to what you said, Audra, is that this new version has more difficulty settings, uh, which is yet another like nice little accessibility touch. Um, accessible in more ways than one, that this might be something that people have an easier time completing. Between quality of life improvements, difficulty settings... Um, yeah, I do have a copy of it, just so that I can try it again. It's definitely the way to do it, then. I'm, I'm curious, and we, we don't have to linger here too long, but the uh, on the... Xenoblade Chronicles, the definitive edition, how did you all feel about, it seems like most people were pretty uh, positive about the the revamp on the art. And I, I thought the the colors and the environments looked great. A lot of the characters looked great. But it, is it just, perhaps it's just me, but I felt that Shulk, with them smoothing out his face, I felt like he looks a lot younger in certain shots. And it, it kind of, it took me a while to get used to that. So... <laughs> the artwork is certainly a lot, yeah, it's certainly a lot cleaner. 
mm-hmm. than the original. So I guess it can come off uh, weird that way. The original designs come like the way it's converted to uh, uh, polygon uh, sprite characters. Uh, it reminds me kind of how they translated Vagrant Stories art to yeah. uh, the character models in that game. Mm-hmm. So uh, it seems kind of weird now. You kind of have that the art style isn't uh, as converted as faithfully to uh xenoblade uh as it was originally but it's still a matter of taste because i think the characters still look really appealing in their own right uh it was kind of the same with radiant historia there's like a big controversy of the new art look good or not right. but um they still look really good in their own right um but it really it comes down to a matter of taste i don't think either look bad they probably thought he just looked too old to take down god so they needed to bring him down to like a few years 15 15 or so (laughs) he had to be 12 full circle on this cast (laughs) yeah it's just him and ryan are supposed to be like best friends and i think ryan is technically only like a year older than him so but there were points certain shots it just usually from a little bit far away he would look um a little bit younger to me than I remembered so, but that was the only thing I thought overall it looked great. Yeah, it's got to be naive. Although speaking boy. to the graphics, like the original Xenoblade Chronicles, I thought had a pretty unique look, even though it was kind yeah. of ugly. <laughs> even though it kind of looked terrible, but um, That's I feel like it, that was a little bit <laughs> that unique look was a little bit lost in going with the more traditional anime style with the the newer game. I suppose I don't know. It's uh, for me, I just mostly was taken away by just the environments getting the full treatment they deserved. Yeah, the environments are a huge step up for sure. It let and me play dress up better too, which I was excited about. It at least yeah. didn't go into like Xenoblade Chronicles two territory anime looking. There's still that fine line there mm. with the first Xenoblade, at least. Sure. Yeah, fair enough. Well, uh, that's uh, we're going to wrap things up at least with our main awards on that one. Because, yeah, we've talked it all out for the most part. I mean, I don't think we really got too much into, but we all should expect that Final Fantasy XIV still has a fantastic soundtrack. Like, yeah. there's no surprises it was up there with Final Fantasy VII. And uh, none of us have really played Hades, but I've, again, the characters are great. We talked a bit about that last episode. But yeah, we've kind of hit all the points there. But where we want to shift focus over to, because like Jono said, we have a lot of folks on the cast today who... Uh, did up a lot of the individual award write-ups and I'm going to, I'm going to cherry pick a bit so we can kind of get through things. Cause we also did manage to actually bring up some of people's uh, individual awards and in some of the different categories where they deferred on where we landed as a site. And also based on what you have or have not played. Um, but Abe, you didn't do any of the write-ups for the individual awards. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> uh, last year, last no, year was a little busy to... for me. So <laughs> I didn't feel particularly. Yeah. But that's why I wanted to give you the the floor right now, uh, because yeah, one thing that you did cover this year uh, with your fal- your first review was the Falconeer, and uh, yeah, I guess is that your best RPG of twenty twenty? <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> no way. <laughs> um, well, it's, tell us about it a bit, and then yeah, I also want to ask you then, like, what is your favorite RPG of twenty twenty after oh, the Falconeer? Um, it w- it would still fi- be uh, Final Fantasy Seven R for me. Um, it was. You know, it was the nostalgia. <laughs> nostalgia did it for me, really. Um, but you know, also the uh, the combat was really, really unique and and. Uh, sorry, that's that might be all I have. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's all good. So yeah, so for you, it was just most of the combat that dragged yeah. you in. One thing we talked about yesterday a lot too was 
with the new story, like the characters and such were a lot better as well. Um, is that one thing that grabbed you or is it mostly just like the gameplay and the, and the nostalgia revisit? Uh, for sure. The, um, I did imp- uh, like the improvements to the story. Um, I liked the, you know, the side stories with the, the avalanche crew and, um, you know, as I wrote, there was, yeah, they got more, there's a pretty neat, uh, ghost story and the, the train graveyard that wasn't in the original game. So a lot of the, you know, it definitely, a lot of the, uh, the uh, additions to the story hit for me. Um, it, it made going through Midgar a, a blast all over again. <laughs> mm-hmm, no doubt. Um, and then the other one, like I said, your first review was the Falconeer, uh, which, I mean, we gave best visuals to Final Fantasy Seven R, and uh, I'm guessing for you, the Falconeer wouldn't trump that, or <laughs> or is it, it would not. Like, I just is it its own thing. I thought it was good enough looking that it, it deserved at least just a, a recognition of uh of being nominated an honorable yeah. mention it yeah it's it's a beautiful game <laughs> I, I can't say that enough times i guess would it fall with like under the unconventional category in terms of how terms gameplay, of gameplay? i haven't looked at it enough but it, it feels like it's not like your standard <laughs> RPG. uh well i started into it and i almost felt like uh mentioning that i'm not really sure it's it counts as an rpg <laughs> uh it's honestly more of a, a flight simulator <laughs> That's that's really the the genre I would I would match it closest to. Oh, interesting! Like a flight yeah, um, the adventure uh, game. Kind there of thing. are RPG elements, but they're very light. Um, uh, there I'm was looking at it, it's giving me a Panzer Dragoon Star Fox vibe to it. Uh, yeah. not really. It's because it's more it's more open okay. than that. I guess uh, if you played uh, like Star Wars Squadrons, that's probably the closest thing I can come to think it would compare it to i just got that for christmas i'm looking forward to diving into that well shifting over to everyone else's um awards as well i'm going to kind of cherry pick out of it as well uh because i want to hear about some of the alternative stuff because we've talked like i said a bit about uh some of the the regular categories here i mean audra your top one of your top rpgs this year was dragon quest 11s uh which is again falls kind of under the remake re-release sort of stage but one thing i am interested to hear a bit more about was your favorite indie title planet stronghold 2 uh, oh i love yeah. planet stronghold 2 why it was a really fun vn traditional rpg hybrid i thought interesting yeah, I, I definitely would not have pegged it anywhere as a vn yeah they um the story presentation to a visual novel node if you'd like to which was a little weird to me and i mentioned it in my review yeah. oh interesting did you ever play the first one? Which, again, I, I've never heard of this series until Planet Stronghold 2. I did play the first one. I thought they improved pretty much everything about it in the Planet Stronghold 2, so I quite like it. And uh, and it's from an indie developer. What else have they done? Or is Planet Stronghold 2 their, their kind of foray? Um, into the, actually, the they're industry? the ones who made Winter Wolves made on Lauren the Amazon Princess, which is a pretty popular indie RPG that came out a couple years ago, I think. And... It's because I'm out of the loop on that one. I don't even know if we covered it. There's a retro RPG review for you. <laughs> hey, if you want to cover it, it's all yours. I think, we, um, I think there is a review for it. Either way, so uh, did you feel like this is going to kind of give them steam with this series? As far as I know, it actually it may have been too big of a project for them. 
Oh. So what now they're changing. They're changing how they're um, handling some other the Lauren sequels are becoming like smaller side stories, just because it took so long to develop this game and get the characters and script size. Yeah, it looks like it took them a t- full two years between their previous game, yeah. Cursed Lands, and Planet Stronghold. It may have just been a bigger title they had expected it to be. Uh, and for Dragon Quest XI, did you jump in like right when that game first came out, or did you hold off just for reasons, and then once 11S was announced, she was like, well, obviously, I'd go for that one was my mentality. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> but it's been... But it's been good to get into. I mean, Bob gave it a great review. Everyone has loved the definitive version. Uh, did you do it on Switch or was did you get the PS4 one? I reviewed it on Switch. Oh, that's right. That was you that did that. And yeah, you were also high on it as well. That's yeah, right. I was pretty. Now that I'm looking at your review. Can't say too much wrong about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems to be probably one of the best Dragon Quest experiences out there. Um Jumping over to Hat and Eric, uh, Hat, what was your, uh, yeah, what was your, like, your best moment of 2020 for gaming? Like, what was your, the big thing you were most excited about this year? It's a little bit controversial, but Ooh. I'll try to weave in and out of that. But uh, I like it, CD. Yeah, you know, honestly, I, I know there's a, a lot of negativity on Cyberpunk, but I picked that up and that was just the best moment for me this whole year. I played, I played on PC, so and I have a pretty good PC, so I did not experience a majority of the issues that, that other people were having. And I think all those criticisms yeah. that people bring up are totally fair and worth talking about. And CD Projekt Red deserves all their criticism that they're getting in many regards. But for me... Which you've t- done an episode on. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's it, that's a whole other conversation of itself. So, <laughs> but uh, the game itself, I you know, I really liked The Witcher Three. So being able to experience, I, I played Witcher Three much later, and so to be able to experience this at launch over like a break I had for the holidays, and just being able to get just so absorbed into that world, and uh, you know the the world building, the handcrafted uh, feel of the game was just more than I expected. And I guess like, it seems to me like they focused on all the things that I like in RPGs, but you know, the things I don't really care about, such as, you know, whether or not V has graphics to eat sushi or can V blow the tires out of a car. Those are, those things are, are immersive, but I, I don't care. So it, it, in That's all fair. the ways that I like the story, the characters, the world building, it, it, it was just a, a great experience for me on PC. So, yeah, and I had the same experience and same with Tooker, which is why you can't take the review without taking in the greater issues. But also, if you're having a good experience, you're having a good experience. It seems to me mm-hmm. that Cyberpunk 2077 uh, could be, if it continues, uh, the the best game released in 2021. But unfortunately, it wasn't. It was released in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if they get it right. Um, Eric, my question for you, uh, just again, drawing on some of the more personal stuff, is there any, uh, hidden gems that we haven't talked about or you've heard about that you're just like, people need to know about this from 2020? Yeah. Well, I think people know about this, but I just haven't heard it talked about much. And it's something, it's one of the best games I played this year and it was Paper Mario, the Origami King. Oh uh, yeah. Gwen got yeah. it for Christmas and I want to dive in so bad and I haven't yet. 
Uh, it is a really good game. When I saw the trailer for it, I was like immediately excited for it. And uh, I'm a big fan of the series. And this particular title, they really did a good job balancing the traditional RPG aspects. And at the same time, continuing their philosophy of, we don't just simply want to make some kind of traditional RPG. We want to add some, uh, some kind of interesting flair to it. And there's a lot of controversy about Sticker Star, more Sticker yep. Star, and Color yep. Splash and the way they did things. But um, they went to a, a very interesting system this time where each battle is like a puzzle instead of just yeah, simply uh, turn-based. And at the beginning, it's very simple to line up the enemies and put them in the way you want to. But by the end of the game, like you're scratching your head sometimes and you're on a timer to get these enemies lined up in the way. And they kind of form themselves up to make it look comp- more complicated than it is. And it catches you off guard a lot. Um, and of course, the bosses, too, are very engaging, very strategic, um, and very engaging battles that you kind of need to think outside the box to uh, get the, uh, you know, get the fight done. And on top of that, the world is very colorful, very beautiful. The story's very humorous. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in it you'll laugh to uh, easily. Um, like so, the humor is great, and it yeah. brought a lot of the exploration factor that Paper Mario is known for back into the game. So um, yeah, I mean it's a very solid Paper Mario RPG, and it blows the previous two games uh, out of the water. Nice, Wes. Uh, looking at your individual awards, uh, you're a basic bitch. I am uh, in that <laughs> in that you took all the uh, all the the big hits from uh, we talked about on last episode were essentially your top three this year. <laughs> so you played like all the big the big obvious ones alongside your PSL. Um, but yeah, like I guess uh, my question for you is: um, Was that coming down to just the fact that that's all you got to play this year, or have you played some other outliers? And you're like, no, these are just they are deserving. It was a mix of things. Um, one of the things that I absolutely adore are games that kind of take big risks and do pretty unique things. And I think all three of those, um, you know, Hades, 13 Sentinels, and uh, Final Fantasy VII uh, remat- Remake, which is not the order I put them in. Uh, oh, well. Um, they all kind of swung for the fences and did something unique. And impressively, usually I love the games that try for it and fail, but all three of them, I think, kind of nailed it. Um Which made me incredibly happy, but uh, there were also a few games that, like, I'm still playing through right now, so I didn't feel comfortable putting them on my list. Like, last week I finished Eichenfell, which easily could have ended up on my top three. Um, Absolutely beautiful little indie RPG, um, unlike a lot of things that are out there, especially in the indie space. Um, uh, As well as uh, the aforementioned Yakuza Like a Dragon. Uh, I slow roll Yakuza games so badly, Uh, so it'll be, you know... Sometime in March, uh, when I finish it, I will have nothing but glowing things to say about it. <laughs> Near next year's, uh, your 2020 individual awards to be like, I wish I played this in 2020 <laughs> award goes to. I think I could do that every year. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing, right? That's, I mean, looking at my individual awards, that's a lot of that too. What old game did I finally play and I really like? Uh, one thing, because I know personally a bit more about your life in that regard, and uh, I don't know if anybody else here also has kids, but uh, for yourself with your kids, uh, A, do they play RPGs? Uh, they're not quite old enough. My oldest is starting to get there, though. Um, I did play through the uh, Paper Mario Origami King with them, though. Uh, voice acted it all for my son, who who couldn't read. Wonderful. Um, 
and had an absolute <laughs> blast with them. Yeah, has uh, do they? Uh, does your son often watch you play games? Like, was there any this year that they were just like super stoked, or is just this kind of your first experience with Origami King? They're they're getting more and more interested. You know, Mario RPGs help because my son is a yep. huge Mario fan, but. Uh, they know they're chocobos and their slimes at this point. So um, I played Dragon Quest XI S this year too. I had played the original, but this time they were a lot more interested because they'd seen all of the slime memorabilia throughout the home and kind of nice. understood it. Um, anything with chocobos. So like I played um, Chocobos Mystery Dungeon this year, which I think was a 2019. Oh, wonderful! Game, uh, the it was yeah. release, but I want to um, play that one with Gwen. Also landed really well with them because uh, it's just adorable and uh, has all of these these little monsters they've seen before. So. That's great. Yeah, Crystal Chronicles has been kind of a hit with Gwen. Her and I haven't oh, yeah. played together in a bit, but it was one that she uh, definitely enjoyed having an opportunity to play with me. And she's always very curious about all games all the time. And <laughs> is it appropriate? Does it have swears? Can I? You know, yeah. stuff like that. That's the balance. That's but, why so many things like Yakuza are still being played is because got to wait for the two hours after they're in bed. Then I'm focused. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's the same with uh, with me. And then she gets into so many questions about everything that she's like can i just play the game but uh, yeah i think super mario rpg was the f- first game her and i played through together as well actually legend of the seven stars yeah and then we did paper mario together and we did trials of man all this past year we finished together as well with her actually playing with me this one. Oh, that's so, fantastic it yeah, was fun. yeah and we voice acted like together perfect beginners rpg <laughs> mm-hmm. so it's it's cool just planting those those nostalgia seeds for for mario <laughs> right exactly yeah she's definitely yeah. but right now again it's all roblox all the time now but she yeah. still plays more into the the rpg end of it all so uh, and it's, it's all they see uh, they can't so, avoid it all, all the time <laughs> rounding out the show uh with jano over here because jano kind of got to give us uh what his obvious favorite was last episode uh so my question for you jano uh and it may not necessarily mean that uh, the game was awful or broken or anything like that. But uh, what was your worst gaming experience of 2020? <laughs> oh my god! Jeez, uh, let me look at my review backlog for this one. <laughs> Blocked out some. Whenever you say worst experience, my mind instantly goes to Fallout 76. But that was years ago. I even know. Though I tried. But you it again spoke this year. pretty highly of it this year. Um. Yeah. I mean, I had some. I didn't really have a lot of astoundingly bad experiences playing games this year. No. Um, maybe just the rest of the year put the video games into sharp relief. But <laughs> there was nothing that made me... Uh, there was nothing that made me uh, specifically, um, I guess, feel, oh, I'm wasting my time on this game. Um, I say that as I look through what I've played this year. Uh, five remastered, four remastered, three remastered. Uh, no, I'm, I've had a pretty good year in games to be completely frank. Um, so there you go. If you had to pick a a least favorite child, which one would you pick? If I had to pick a least favorite (laughs) child? Oh no, they're going to be so crushed. Um, if I had to pick a least favorite child, I think I might actually pick, and you're going to be surprised by this. I think I might pick, uh, Murder by Numbers. Yeah, yeah, I can see that, actually. I mean, it is a bit surprising because you were pretty high on it, but I can also see why. I liked Murder by Numbers. I thought it was a great game. I thought it was fun. We're not saying it's a bad game. I think it was fun. I thought it was a 
I mean, I love Picross, but I thought that in the end it was fairly disposable in terms of the storyline and things like that. It could be different if they pick up a sequel and they expand on it a little bit, but as it was, yeah, it was a it's a bit derivative. It was a nice light piece of fluff. It was by no means like one of the best games I played in 2020. I think one of the best games I played in 2020, irritatingly enough, I played after we cre- we did the list, and I haven't talked about it on the show yet. Called uh, it's a it's Do a game tell. called this. Uh, there is no game. Has anyone heard of it? Uh, <laughs> I've heard it's of it. It's a yeah. po- it's Which a point and click it... adventure game, sort of. It's like it's a deconstruction of a point and click adventure game that parodies LucasArts classic adventure games. It parodies Zelda. It parodies uh, Gotcha games beautifully. Um, it's a bit more in the spirit of games like the Stanley Parable. Uh, and if you like that sort of thing, if you like a game that deconstructs uh, traditional gameplay. I think that you should pick it up. I was I was very impressed by it. Um, I, I it's not a it's not a long game. I played it in an afternoon, but it was a fun afternoon. And if I if I could, I that would have ended up on my in my vote for uh, best adventure game. Unfortunately, I played it just after twenty twenty was over. So, ah, uh, darn. <laughs> uh, and then uh, finishing things off, then um, yeah, I didn't really get. I didn't speak to mine last time either, but uh, I would still say <laughs> Renegades. I think my f- most... Sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I think uh, for me, Star Renegades was probably my most memorable experience, quit closely followed by Trials of Mana. Those two are definitely my big hits from this last year. Star Renegades caught me kind of from left field. Like I had a feeling I'd like it from its visual presentation, but I was not expecting to get as addicted and into the gameplay experience as I did. And if I didn't have other games to work on and other duties to do for the site, if I was just a gamer playing games, I'd probably still be diving back into it. Like I did with um, FTL. Like it's just got that addictive loop of as the roguelike in it, the game plays great, looks amazing. The combat is so fun. Like I can't recommend it highly enough, Uh, which yeah. And then, as I said, trials of mana, which we talked a bit about reiterated, what it was doing really really well i still love the original but this one brings enough newness it's just so fun um like my new next question to everybody as we finish off the episode is going to be like if you could recommend one game from 2020 that if it's on special or whatever that someone has to buy buy it now so for me i would just say like give star renegades a chance massive damage from ontario did a fantastic job pick that one up that's my recommendation right now if you see it on steam sale or whatever get it um well, John, we'll finish with you. I'll go over to Abe. What's your one recommendation? Buy it now. Uh, I know I said Final Fantasy was my favorite game, but uh, it's got to be uh, Yakuza, really. Um, <laughs> I know it, pro- everyone here has played it, but uh, I think it has uh, some, uh, you know, some uh, breakout appeal for for people who haven't played Yakuza games. Um, my my wife <laughs> uh, started playing it, and it was her first Yakuza game, and now she's going through all the other ones. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, that sleeper hit Yakuza, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Wes, what do people have to buy based on your recommendation from 2020? Well, I'm worried I'm going to have to be the basic one, because I don't think anyone else here is going to, but you got to play 13 Sentinels. You just have to. It's it's required. Uh, you're you're going to be tested on I don't think that's a this. bad basic one. <laughs> it's, it's, it's left field enough that, like... It seems to be that one that if someone's on the edge of that genre, this could be the one to really make them interested, or it yeah. could be the only one they ever play and they won't be unsatisfied. Yeah, you're you're not going to play something like this again. Uh, it's it's something nice. wholly unique and nearly every respect. So, go buy it, play it. 
Uh, Eric, by now, what is it? What do we need from 2020 based on your recommendation? Man, Hades, most definitely. That there is you go. one of the best action uh, titles of the year. Uh, even if you're not into roguelike games, it, this game may change your mind with how it mixes the narrative with the rogue experience. Uh, it's a top-notch game. Highly recommend it, even if not on sale. But if it's on the sale, just that much better. Beautiful. Hat, you know where we're going with this. Well, I was going to say Crosscode. I think the music nice. is fantastic. Go check out the soundtrack if you're not going to buy the game. But buy the game. It's got great pixel art. Feels like a modern Super Nintendo game. Great story. 40-hour indie game. We don't get a lot of those. And uh, it's a it's an enjoyable time. Check it out. A lot out. of room to grow, too. It wasn't the best optimized on the Switch, but... Uh, yeah, I got it on pretty PC much get anywhere, and Switch... PC is definitely the way to go, but they're, they're working on a Switch version. So I, I don't know if they ever go. fixed it, but. I got to give a quick colorblind warning to shout out to my other people. Just keep an eye, do a little bit of research. If you're colorblind, um, look into CrossCode. It looks amazing, ah. but unfortunately I cannot uh, get through a lot of the bosses. <laughs> mm. Be dizzying, I suppose. And Jono, round us out. What's the Jono recommendation that isn't Spelunky 2? <laughs> isn't Spelunky 2? Um, Looking ahead, I would say uh, keep an eye out for Rogue Legacy 2. Um, I, That's right, yeah, because you're still playing I played that. Early Access. It's being developed. They're shoving more and more and more and more content into it. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be really something special for 2021. But if you want my best value, if you see it on sale, buy it 2020 game, uh, get the Yakuza Remastered Collection. It has 3, 4, and 5. Uh-huh. 3 and 4 are solid games. They're great. I suspect that people are going to be hearing Solosi talk about both of them at great length in the near future but yakuza 5 is mind-blowingly good in my opinion and it actually might have my favorite game moment uh in 2020 which was the full-blown idol simulator i uh, god my god i had so much fun playing uh uh haruka's uh, chapters in that game i love it well, thank you, everybody. This was a bigger episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening and bearing out. We've been doing a good job of keeping our episodes uh, even under 90 minutes for the most part. Like, we're, we're trying to keep things down around an hour. Uh, these two episodes combined are going to be, like, just a touch over three hours. So thanks for coming in for this big two-part series. It's better than last year's. What was it, like, almost six-hour extravaganza or whatever it was? It was ridiculous. We did a good job, everybody. So thank you for being on and helping uh, manage this conversation quite well between the six of us. Seven of us? Six of us. Seven. Seven of us. Jeepers. Yeah. Seven including you. Yeah. I'm not counting myself. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, it was great having uh, Hat and Eric of the Phoenix Edge podcast, having you both here uh, for the first time. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. It was a blast. It's, uh, on that note, I will segue into uh, our official closing since we didn't really do it on part one. Now we bring part two to a close. We do have other podcasts to listen to, and we've been paired up with Hat and Eric of the Phoenix Edge podcast. Uh, have we hit a year? We've, we're over a year now, haven't we? Since you've yeah, I think we're maybe fifteen months, something like that. Yeah, time's flown by. Um, what what do uh, listeners have to look forward to uh, for you, like the next episode or two, if you want to tease? Yeah. So last week we just did our twenty twenty RPGs, but generally we try to cover more game related topics such as you know the things like with mobile gaming or or, or is royal editions is that a thing that we should be uh happy for and and things along that nature but uh next week i think that we're we're still working it out but i think we're going to be touching some of the 
Final Fantasy remake ever crisis leak thing that's out there in the ether. I still have to research it, but we're going to we're going to talk some about that. And uh, probably after that, we'll talk about 2021 RPGs we can expect. So we do occasionally talk about uh, standalone title games. Also, Uh, a few weeks back, we just did a full like two and a half hour discussion on Super Mario RPG for Super Nintendo. So uh, if you like to go back on more classic games. Uh, we do time to time uh, dive into those type of games like Dragon Quest V, Knights of the Old Republic. If you want to uh, hear us talk about those standalone games, we do episodes like that also. Nice. And speaking of which, we also have Retro Encounter that people can listen to if you want those as well, which is RPG fans dedicated uh, podcast to that and uh, other random topics that usually re- involve old games uh, that a lot of us old people play here. And uh, we also have Rhythm Encounter is back, has been going pretty steadily along now since its revival. We've had some great episodes come out, a lot of fantastic uh, music. We just covered an episode that is kind of making up for the gaps since Rhythm Encounter went on its hiatus. So we're looking back at what music did they miss? And that's coming up soon if it hasn't already dropped by this recording. And uh, yeah, thank you so much, everybody. You can email us questions, concerns. Spare potions, as we say, over at podcast at rpgfan.com. Uh, you can harass me uh, at G Delmage, uh, Greg Delmage, pretty much anywhere on the internet. And I'm G Delmage on our Discord. Jono is available through uh, his, um, what's the word I'm looking for? His email address. Jono, people can harass you for reviews. Logan at rpgfan.com, or you can hit me up on Twitter at Jono Logan. Yeah, and uh, otherwise, everybody else you can uh, find in our About Us staff page because uh, it'll add another 10 minutes if we go through everyone's social <laughs> handles since there's so many of us. Um, thank you, everybody, once again for being on the show. It's so nice to get all of you new voices on here. Uh, everybody uh, that is uh, new to the podcast and will hopefully be returning. We haven't scared you away. Uh, for myself, for Jono, for everybody here, have a good one, everybody. Thanks for listening, and bye now. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye.